You're listening to Power Athlete Radio, a podcast dedicated to empowering your performance every damn day. Join former NFL pro and Power Athlete founder John Wellborn as he dissects the greatest minds in strength, conditioning, and more. So whether your goal is to be the hammer, destroy mediocrity, or simply move the dirt, you've come to the right place. Now with the warm-up done, let the gains begin. Hey, Power the Nation. I have another rad podcast in store for you today with my boy D-Mac, Darren McMains. Now, this one was a little interesting in that he was not only a former professional baseball player, but he's also the director of mental health performance at a global cybersecurity company, which I found fascinating. But really, his true passion is working with baseball players and working with different organizations to improve performance through mental impact and clarity and you know just really just this idea of like creating resilience and toughness you know through mental training and uh we dive in on not only what he does but some of the things that i've encountered and uh just a very flowing good conversation um i know i'm not a talker you guys probably laugh um hopefully i gave him enough but it it was funny at one point we kind of switched around and he started interviewing me and i was interviewing him um, excellent podcast and somebody that I'm excited to pull into our ecosystem and into our genealogy. Uh, I was hoping he had a book to push because I wanted to read more, but he, he has it in his head and hasn't pushed it out. But uh, I don't know how active he's on social or whatnot, but um, he has a podcast. So hopefully we'll get another chance to talk to him and bring him on, have him here in person. But, um, you know, having DMAC on would be epic. So strap in, buckle up, Darren McMains. So I played professional baseball for a while in the Giants organization, San Francisco Giants. Uh, moved into coaching and managing after uh, injuries, had five surgeries. Um, so anyway, wasn't very good at the end of it, you know, so uh, as it goes. And so they asked me to coach. Well, yeah. pro sports never ends well no. for like, like there's very few people that get like what I call the Tony Gonzalez where you get to play 17 years yeah. and step off. And the next year you're like Gronk on the sound. On you know Tony Terry and Tommy and you're fucking totally. you know, have a multi million dollar job on the sports deck and you're dating yeah. an SI supermodel. Yeah, I'm like now that only happens to like Tom Brady, Gronk, Tony Gonzalez, and like a few people. Most people end up at the end of pro sports fucking battered and broken, yeah. and they're like, I can't do it anymore. Yeah, so yeah, that's definitely my story. Yeah, no, that's uh, very true. Uh, they asked me to coach. I coach and manage for a bit, um, five years to be exact. And then it was during that time, went back to school, got my master's in sports psych because it was one of those things where. Uh, so this was like 2010, 2012. So it's like still sports psychology. It was like, hey, man, you're jacked up if you're going to talk to that person, you know. So I avoided people like myself, like the plague, you know. I'm like, I ain't talking to that person, sure. you know. And uh, Well, it's because, because you're a spy. Yeah. You're going to be reporting on all the <laughs> – <100%. laughs> Yeah. And then management's going to uh, fucked up yeah, by Yeah, head case, you know. So um, Yeah, we got to get rid of them. Yeah, totally. So anyway, um, went back to school, though, and I started to see it from like a proactive approach, right, because I think – you know, as a professional athlete, as you know, it's like you're really selfish. All you're focused on is yourself and how do you yeah, get the most out of your ability and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then when you start coaching and managing, you're like, oh, shoot, man, they got, you know, 26 different guys and they're all looking at things differently. And, you know, and you start to go, man, how can I be a better coach? And so that's where it kind of started. Um, and then to start to look at it like, man, this is actually a proactive approach to this. You know, there's a, not a, you know, wait till you get all broken and you're trying to figure out what's wrong with you uh, type thing. And so that's where I just kind of shifted how I did things. Uh, the, and then from there, Started the uh, the Giants' first mental performance programs. I did that uh, fall of 2012. From there, fortunate enough to be there when, uh, you know, it's kind of that run where we had a bunch of good players, a bunch of good leaders, and I was just part of it, you know, and uh, won the three sure. world championships there in those yeah. five years. Oh, yeah. uh, then Notre Dame came along, and it was one of those things where 
you know, destination school, a lot of older coaches are there. And so they had kind of that old mentality on the mentality that essentially I had, where it's like, you're jacked up, you're talking to those people. So, um, Jack Swarbrick is the AD at the time, still the AD actually, you know, for, I think for a few more months, um, ultimately wanted somebody to come in to coach the coaches around mental performance, around a proactive approach, right? Cause they had a sports psychologist, but they were on campus, Notre Dame. It's like no online stuff, you know, so, sure. you, you know, so that whole deal. Uh, so I went there and more or less coached the coaches. So I just worked with kind of the 26 different uh, teams there. Um, did that for a bit, uh, really just a year though, missed baseball. Cause I was like, man, this kind of, um, I wasn't smart enough to realize. Which is, which is weird. Cause nobody misses baseball. I'm just kidding, yeah. <laughs> making jokes. Yeah, it's in your blood. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, no, dude, to, to, to be a baseball player, you got to really love it. Cause it's a lot of games. I mean, I played is. football. I mean, it was six months and then I got to go chill for six months. I mean, baseball players, even in the off season are like going to the field, yeah. go fuck around for three hours. It's yeah. uh it's truly something in your blood. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a weird thing. Cause definitely, uh, we're not efficient. You know, I can tell you, it's like, we'll hang out there for hours, just, you know, um, <laughs> that's why, that's why I don't train baseball guys. And I worked with some baseball guys and I, the joke I make is uh, baseball's organized grab ass and, uh, they <laughs> show wrong. up and it's, I mean, it, it was unreal. Yeah. I mean, like I, I was like, dude, you got like, we're going to train. This is the fucking completely like time management. Just like, I'll be there. I'll do it when I'm doing, you know, it's, uh, yeah. Like, like no, I, I, I think it's like lack of sense of urgency because what there's what, like 162 games yeah. or something. Yeah. So it's like, uh, maybe I get a hit. Maybe I don't, I'm going to get one on Tuesday. I'll be fine. for sure. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's definitely the long game uh, for sure. Yeah. No, that's funny. You say that, um, <laughs> organized grab ass. That's good. So, uh, but yeah, miss baseball went back and then, uh, worked with the Mariners for a couple of years after that. And then giants. Um, and then after the COVID year decided, Hey man, I want to start my own consulting stuff. I, you know, I'm a couple kids now they're 16 and 10 now. So it's like, I need to not travel as much. Uh, two years prior to me leaving uh, professional sports full-time, I started working, uh, as a, um, executive coach with a founder and CEO of ReliQuest, which is a cybersecurity company based out of Tampa. Um, uh, so I started working with him. And then when I left, started my own consulting, I wasn't smart enough to realize like, Hey man, like you should probably have, you know, 401k, you know, health insurance kind of need all that kind of stuff. If you got a family. <laughs> so, uh, he was like, Hey, you want to join us full time and do for our whole company, what you've, uh, just done for me, you know, individually. I was like, yeah, I don't know what it looks like. He's like, do I get a 401k? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> do, I, do I get help? Yeah, my full time, you know, but it, I'll, I'll tell you what, yeah. though, give him a ton of credit. Cause I was like, Hey man, like I love sport. Like I'm not going to give up sport. And he said, Hey, perfect. You know, use that as your R and D it's your, you know? And so that's why I, mm -hmm. I consult now with the Arizona diamondbacks because it's here in my hometown. Um, mm -hmm. and this will be my fourth season, uh, consulting with them, but yeah. So full time with the rely quest and been rolling out that mental performance program there now since 2021, um, and it's been fun, man. It's been a rocket ship since I've been there. You know, I think I joined around like 500 employees. We're like 1200 now, like ARR went from 80 million to we're over 300 something million now, I think, you know, um, and we're still, and you're directly responsible for that. Uh, zero again, you just, what you want to do <laughs> is jump on when there's really good people around, you know, it's kind of like the giants, you know, it's like, Oh, Buster I... Baumgartner, I'm going to jump on this guy. <laughs> Be like, it was the mental performance work that we did that allowed them to hit jacks. No, I, I I'm just fucking kidding, but no, I, I mean, know, it's, it's true. Uh, I mean, there... it, it's, it's such a fascinating field. Like, um, uh, because I, you know, and I, I don't know if you saw me laugh a little bit, but when you, when you said you went to Notre Dame and there was this old kind of coaching staff, I mean, when you talk about mental performance, uh, I think most of the world doesn't know what that means. Yep. And a bunch of like, you know, 60, 70 year old football coaches who 
we're probably raised on something where it's like water is weak and you know toughness happens when you get kicked in the balls 25 times with splinters in your hands yeah. and it's like uh you know and like not realizing like 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 how do you effectively create you know uh resiliency and like i think mental toughness is like very 1950s you know there was probably like a book in the 50s where like oh you gotta be mentally tough yeah but i uh you know everybody's tough at certain points and a lot of times people aren't tough but the ability to be resilient over time and uh i also hate the term resiliency just because the military has globbed onto it and literally curb stomped it like a dead horse so you can't even use that word anymore so i'm always constantly like searching for a term that hasn't been beat to death by either the media the army or other sports organizations sure <laughs> that's funny you say that uh, i wish i had one but everything comes full circle man maybe we're back to mental toughness you know i don't know but i the one thing i do say about mental toughness is like because i'll go in and talk to coaches you know they're like we want to be mentally tougher we want to teach them how to compete and my first thing is always like well you can't develop what you can't define so let's just define that first and so yeah. um so that's where we Can always they? start Say that again. I mean, can can they define mental toughness? Like, like that's a really interesting piece. Uh, it's kind of like a, a pretty girl, right? For example, True. I'll just use that because you know I like pretty girls. Uh, who doesn't? Or pretty women? Let's say. Let's be a little more PC Fair. in twenty twenty four. But you know, you like a you know good looking person walks in the room. Everybody generally is like, for the most part, you're like, wow, that person's better looking than everybody else in here. It's easy to ascertain. Yeah. Um, just like a front engine V12 Ferrari. I'm not a Ferrari guy, but a front engine V12 Ferrari, you know, V12 pulls up and you hear it and you're like, oh shit, that sounds different. But mental toughness is one of those things that's harder to define, but you see, but when it happens and more important, you see somebody in the throes of it, it's easy to obsess. Yeah. We interrupt this episode with a shameless self-promotion. Are you struggling to balance life and training? Let me introduce you to Grindstone. Punch the clock in the face with our most flexible training program designed to fit around external stresses. Perfect for the boardroom warriors, parents, students, and athletes looking to train while life has your axe to the grindstone. Claim a seven-day free trial by heading to powerathletehq.com forward slash grindstone today. Now, back to the show. Yeah. Um, so I can tell you, like, the definition that we've kind of settled on over the years, this, this is just working with several different coaches, is... Um, you have the discipline to focus on your process when your career depends on your results. Right. And so what it does is like, now, can you coach to that? I think you can, when you start talking about like, what are the psychological skills, uh, skills you need to separate from your results. Right. Cause it's like, you got to live in this space. You know, this of like the urgency of results that matter versus the things you focus on that are helpful. Right. There's a difference between what matters and what's helpful. And sometimes we just put them all together and go, oh, I got to, you know, I have to win today. Right. And it's like, um, you know, it's like living in the space between willing to fail, but refusing to fail. Like you got to kind of live in that space of like, and people that compete, people that coach know it, but I think the more words you can put around it, the more people can then begin to create their own framework for how they're going to operate within that. Right. And then to compete, um, for me, I like to compete better because I think, um, mental toughness, uh, definitely is more subjective. I like how you described it. Like, uh, you know, describing, you know, a, a woman that walks in and you're like, Oh wow, she's hot. And somebody else be like, really, you got that, you know, or whatever. Um, yeah. but I think to, to you're like, no, that is exactly my flavor right there. Yeah. Like I know exactly what that looks like. And that the same thing happens with, uh, mental toughness. And actually I was on a call. Um, there's uh Tim Kennedy and, uh, Matt, uh, Boudreau started this thing called the, uh, Apogee school here in, in Austin. And then they have a bunch of satellite locations and so they have a men's group for the fathers to ask me to speak on and uh as they were kind of like talking about you know not only resilience and 
you know, all these other key factors, I found it kind of hard to like define some of these things. Like I, I, uh, would people define me as mentally tough? Yeah. I don't really like to give up in the face of adversity. Yeah. Um, and I was always more shocked and amazed when people I was with who I thought were up to like, you know, ready to go all of a sudden, like fail in the face of things, you know, like, yeah, I'll just give you, you know, like, I don't know. I mean, like, in, and it's not necessarily like, let's say in a sporting environment, it's in like weird ways. Like, you know, Hey, there's work to be done. It's cold outside. You know, the, uh, uh, like the temperatures were dropped to drop from like 70 to like negative 18 here in like three hours. Cause Texas has the craziest weather on the planet. Yeah. And so like my daughter's like, dad, uh, she has a horse and she's like, dad, can we bring the horse down in this? We don't really have like a place for her. I'm like, we'll go build a shelter. So I went to the home Depot. Uh, grab dj works for me dude it's like the weather's like dropping like 10 degrees with every gust we're out there with like no gloves setting this thing up and like you know most people would have been like it's too cold i'm like well there's a job to finish right. i don't care if it's a negative 18 degrees or 70 degrees like the work has to be done and i'll be cold later on you know like that ability to persevere when the wind's blowing on you for sure which is you know the same thing playing in the nfl where you know you play in played in the hottest game in nfl history and one of the coldest games wearing the exact same outfit that's cool. like yeah. no change yeah and like you know people ask me how'd you do it and you're like well i really had no other choice it was what was required of me and i don't like to lose so like uh, you know in the age old uh you know a man with a choice is a man with a problem i just like to be this yeah. is what i got to do this is what's required of me now just go out and hopefully do it better than the next guy yeah well I, you touched on an important point of mental toughness i think and one is clear purpose right it's like horse needs a shelter I don't like to lose. Right. And so it's like, those are two things. Um, and then the second piece for me, mental toughness is it's context specific. Right. And I heard this story a long time ago and, uh, it's actually a military, uh, person that is a, uh, a paratrooper, um, like a medic paratrooper that comes in and, you know, flies into particular areas and, and he goes in and, you know, if somebody has been shot or whatever, and he's there to, um, help the individual, get him back on a, you know, helicopter, get him out of, of damage. Right. And so as he's talking about, he's like, bolts are flying everywhere. He's like, I have no problem operating in that space because I'm prepared. I know what I'm doing. I don't, I don't even think about the bullets flying. I know how I can save this individual. He said, but you, if I have to return a punt in an NFL game, no way. Like I want no part of it. And he said, because it, I'm not prepared to do that. I don't know what it takes to do that. And so I, I wouldn't even choose to go into that space. Whereas I'm sure there's several punt returners that probably wouldn't want to, you know, parachute into the middle of a war and help save a guy. And so he started to talk about the importance of context and mental toughness and how like there is a, a competence and a preparation and a purpose factor that goes into it that I thought was really interesting uh, because it's not about like you're either mentally tough or you're not. It's like, what environments are you mentally tough in? Where do you want to be mentally tough in? And then let's build in the, the purpose, the preparation, you know, the competence and all that kind of stuff. This episode of Power Athlete Radio is powered by Train Heroic the most immersive strength training app experience on the market. We've built an online training business by partnering with Train Heroic to deliver all of our world-class training programs like Jack Street, Hammer, Field Strong, and Grindstone. To learn which Power Athlete training program best suits your goals, head to powerathletehq.com training. And if you're a coach looking to build a business with the best training tech in the business, head to trainheroic.com slash powerathletehq. And now back to the show. So is, uh, man, I've never really thought about mental toughness being contextual. I just kind of figured it was like gas in the car. You either have it or you don't, you know, yeah. the car's going or it's not. So I never really thought much about context, but now that you say it, it makes sense. Um, you probably have mental toughness in the places where you have aptitude and you can apply it. Yeah. You know, um, uh, like, uh, oh, and like what I was saying was like on that call, 
uh, one of the guys brought up David Goggins and, you know, and like, you know, his ability to run and do this. And I was like, I don't really have any um, desire to go out and run 200 miles. Right. Um, so like, I look at it like, is it cool? Yeah. I mean, are, are the, the words that he's speaking, are they impactful to people? 100%. Do I look at it and think, uh, I, like, uh, I, I don't know. Like, is, there's sound bites, but people really resonate. And that stuff like has like, you know, forced, you know, like put people, kick people in the pants to where they've lost two or 300 pounds. And like these like sure. amazing stories you hear about, like how he's inspiring people by running. And I'm like, I don't, I mean, I like to sprint, I uh, like, I like to train, but like going out and just running on running, like th- that to me is not something that's like extremely impressive. Whereas, you know, Cameron Haynes, for example, Dude runs so he can chase down an elk after he shoots it. I think that's really cool because I want to eat those elk steaks and I'm glad that he's doing it because I want to eat the elk steaks. Sure. So uh, it's really fascinating that it's so contextual in some way because you just kind of figured that like, oh, that dude's tough. He's going to be tough in everything. But maybe he's tough in his phrase when he's positioned with something that's outside of his skill set or her skill set. Yeah, I would think so, right? I mean, uh, I, don't, I mean, how many episodes have you hosted here? I'm just curious. Uh, what episode? 741. 741. Seven. We're closing in on 750 uh, episodes of Power Athlete Radio. We started in 2013. Wow. No, was it? Yeah. 2013 was what it was. So last year was our 10th year. Yeah. Yeah. This is be year 11. And I'm sure it's felt like a grind at times. You're like, yeah, we got to do this again. <laughs> you know, I don't, uh, I mean, you tell me, I don't know. I'm, I'm, uh, I, uh, so this is, uh, this is, man, this is so weird to admit. Uh, I have disgusting amount of mental resilience for redundant things. Like I am so happy to keep, like I go lift weights and I've dude, like I like have a building and I go train and like, people are like, don't you get tired of it? And I'm like, no, uh, for the same reason, I'm just as excited to eat a steak today as I was yesterday and 10 years ago. I still get excited by like, like the most basic things. And, um, I just, I mean, you know, having, so when we originally started Power at the Radio, I kind of hated it. Um, and I didn't necessarily, I'm like, ah, people aren't going to just listen to something, you know, because this was pre-video and, sure. you know, it was like everybody was just doing these verbal podcasts. I'm like, do people really want to listen to this stuff? And as we got into it, um, it allowed me to have a sounding board with intelligent people like yourself where I could have, you know, these uh, like nuanced discussions, um, you know, for a purpose. I mean, uh, if we weren't doing the podcast, I would never have met you. It's not like I'm calling you on the phone right. to have, uh, you know, like this conversation. But now that we've had, we have this genealogy and I'll send you my number after this and we'll be friends. And if I ever run into something or all of a sudden I'm presented with something where you fit in, I'm like, Oh dude, I talked to this guy on the podcast. He does mental resilience. And he says this, he'd be perfect in this space. And the way to like increase your genealogy sure. by finding like-minded people. Uh, I have built a collection of super friends that I refer in my Rolodex is to like the X-Men of the world where regardless of what the problem, what the outcome, what the, the question or whatever it is, I have that person with one degree of separation to answer that question. I don't care. Like you can throw cool. anything you want, any question at me. For, uh, like I have the person to call from doing this podcast and having, you cool. know, playing in the NFL. So I, I have a really cool reach in that way sure. and I have cool friends, but it's pretty amazing for just the people that we've had, uh, you know, uh, like this organic conversation. And like, when I go back and look and I'm like, dude, like I would never have met half of these people. And on top of it, uh, how impactful they've become because of the podcast. 
like reaching, uh, we had Angela Duckworth's, uh, Duckworth mm. on for her book grit. Uh, I had not read grit. They sent us the book. I read it and I was like, damn, this is, you know, amazing. Um, so, um, just some of the people that we've had on have just really created this amazing kind of, uh, I just call it like a genealogy, like the touch, like here I am. And I got all these little satellites and you never know who's going to listen, who's going to be inspired by it. Um, you know, I, I got a DM from a current NFL player that reached out about maybe potentially coming to train because he had dinged in, saw, listened to the podcast and was like, oh man, I want to go learn more. And, cool. you know, that's just like putting good information and like good thoughts and vibe and, you know, being a, you know, transparent, hopefully honest, good person providing good content and not being full of shit. Yeah. Because I think in this world, so many people are fucking full of shit and there's so many frauds and hucksters and this whole, sure. so when you come across people that are doing good work, it tends to, you know, radiate and good things tend to happen. So, um, yes, in the beginning, it kind of sucked until I realized the value of having nuanced conversations and then putting them out to the world and seeing who, you know, who's attracted to what, and more importantly, what they can, what they can glean from it. Yeah. I, I love that, man, because it's like, one, I appreciate your honesty, but two, you discovered the value of it once you got in the middle of it. Right. And I think sometimes people wait they're like, well, is this going to be the, I, I got to feel it before I really go all into it, you know? And then, you know, it kind of speaks to like behavioral activation, right. Where it's like, don't wait for a feeling, do the thing, the feeling will follow later. Right. And so I think that's one of the biggest separators that I've seen. I'm sure you've seen in professional sports is like the highest performers in the world act different than how they feel plain and simple. And then the feeling catches up to them. They're like, Oh, I like that. I'm going to keep doing that thing. Cause I like the way that feels on the backside of it. Right. And so, I mean, you can call it delayed gratification, call it whatever you want, but the idea to, you know, let your commitments and your curiosity drive your behavior over like whether I feel like it or not, you know? And so, um, I just, I've seen along the way, that's been a, a consistent trait that has showed up, whether in business, sport, athletes, coaches, wherever it might be, where, you know, it's just like, curiosity and commitments kind of get me where I need to go. You know, we, we had a good friend of mine on the podcast years ago, a guy named Andy Stumpf. He's since been on Joe Rogan and, you know, I knew Andy kind of before all that. And, um, Andy made a really interesting statement to me. I think about probably way too often the difference between a man and a boy man does what he has to, a boy does what he wants to. <laughs> so when I run into people all yeah. the time that say, I don't feel like doing that. And I always pause and I kind of take mental stock and think, I never even think about how I feel about doing stuff. It's more whether it needs to be done or not. And so I have, I have a quote on my phone from uh, Marcus Aurelius, which is, let me see, can't really see it, but it says, uh, ask yourself at every moment, is this necessary? Mm. And I have it on my phone for a very good reason, because as you click into maybe, you know, dead scroll or whatever, you know, social media, you plug in and screw around, whatever it looks like. I think in that, is this necessary? And if it's not, I don't, I don't log into the phone. If I have to check Discord or emails or whatever, like, is that necessary? Yeah, at this point between these hours, this is where it fits. But with the training, whatever it looks like, whether like, you know, building a shelter or doing this and this, is it necessary? It is because there's a core set of values that I've established ahead of time that need to be supported at every point, whether it be physical, mental, emotional, you know, like uh, I live on a pretty good sized ranch. So I have a, one of my tenants, like one of my plat, like pillars is leave everything better than what you found it. So now improving upon the land, grading it, changing it, doing everything to make it a better mm. version of what I got. Um, for the same thing, I build and fabricate and restore trucks and cars and do that as a hobby and weld. And um, I'm in this constant. And um, through this process, I realized 
that the difference for me is I'm a process driven person. I'm not a results driven person. So like building the vehicle and I had a buddy swing by and we just finished something and he's like, dude, what are you gonna do with this? I'm like, I don't know. I was more into the building of it. Yeah. Now that it's done, I, I like, I don't know what to do with it. I'm sure we'll just launch it off of a cliff or something. But I think people are constantly thinking about like, oh, you know, when I hit this and this, and I'm like, uh, you know, the adventures on the road, like, like there's this process that doesn't stop. And uh, when I've run into people that are results driven, where it's this and this and this, it becomes very transactional. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I work with uh, some professional Brazilian jiu-jitsu players. You know, one of the guys is one of the top dudes in the world. And, you know, after one of his, uh, he fights, he lost by like two points. This guy had a little bullshit sweep, didn't submit him. The guy wants two points and wins. And it was actually for like the world title. And he was pretty sad after he rightly so he lost out on money and he fucking lost to this piece of shit. Sure. So he's, he's like, you know, what do we do? And I'm like, what do you mean? What do we do? It doesn't stop the train. We're like, this is part of the process. Winning and losing is what we do. It doesn't change anything. You know what we're going to do? We're going to get up tomorrow and we're going to go exactly back and we're going to continue to work. It's not like we're going to throw anything out. We know what we need to do. We just have to do it consistently better with more pressure and more time with unrelenting fucking just, you know, passion to move forward. And I'm like, dude, it's not stopping. We'll continue to train. It's not like I'm leaving. Like, oh, he didn't win. I'm fucking out. I'm like, fuck, dude, let's go. Yeah. You know? And it's like, you know, winning and losing and what you do, especially in the NFL, like I lose a game or win a game. I still have to go and watch film. I still have to go to practice. And we got another one next week. And, I, and the more I worry about that one, the less I'm going to do in this one. And then we get done and the season's over and they say, hey, go home. You know what I do? I start preparing for the next season. So I've lived my entire life through this process. So I, I don't really understand the results. And I'm like, or like, what's the result? Death? Like, do I get to the end and I die? And I'm like, okay, that's the end of the game. Like, I didn't stop playing. So it's, uh, it's just an interesting, I'm sure you've seen this within the mental toughness where people are so transactional and it's so like outcome focused. And you're like, focus on the process of greatness and you'll get there faster than trying to hit these different little pieces. Yeah, man. I mean, that's well said. And that's, that's baseball, right? I mean, you know, you talk about football. I mean, that's baseball where it's like, Outcome every night doesn't matter because next, I mean, tomorrow's coming. You got to get up. You're going to be there at noon the next day. You're training. You're getting your body ready, you know? And uh, I think that's one of the biggest things that a professional baseball player has to learn is the reason why people cheer for you. The reason why people, uh, quote unquote, I mean, maybe this is the story you tell yourself. This is the story I told myself. The reason that, you know, people cheer for you, love you, want to talk to you, want to high five you, want your autograph is because you're good at baseball, right? I mean, if you weren't good, people don't clap. Pretty simple. And so you get to professional baseball and, uh, good looks a lot different. Like my biggest struggle was, you know, you're in high school, you're hitting 400, 500 every year, you know, winning a state championship because you're one of the better players on the team. You go to college, you're doing kind of the same thing, hitting, you know, 350, 400. You get into professional baseball, average player hits around 250. Well, shoot, my whole my, my whole idea of 250 is like, no, if you hit 250, you're not very good. Well, now it's like, so you almost have to reorient yourself. And if you're all you are focused on the results, which I think we all have to go through this maturation, right, of, of like changing our mindset on like what greatness really is. And it is the everyday process. It is getting into the thing every day. But it, up until that point, it's always been results, right? Because it felt good because you were better than everyone else. So, of course, what process? How about I just beat everyone? That's cool, you know? And then you get into that space where you're playing with the best in the world and things change. And so you're like, shoot, how can I show up every day? Because that's the thing. How can I show up every day 
And despite what happened yesterday, put my best foot forward, still look for ways to improve, take the coaching, take the critical feedback. Again, be willing to fail, but refusing to fail at the same time, be willing to fail me like, I'm going to try this thing. I think this should work today, you know, and then just like, go for it. I don't care who's watching. Like, I think this is going to work. Um, and then do it all over again the next day. And then do that year in, year out, day after day. And that's just been the normal rhythm of my life. Like I joined professional baseball at 21 years old. I'm 44 now. I've been in it every step of the way. The only time I wasn't was the one year I was at Notre Dame, which was, you know, 26 different teams of chaos where nothing ever ended, you know? <laughs> and so, um, sure, sure. yeah. And so like, I'm just like you just wired, like, like, I don't think about failing at all. In fact, I was just talking with a group the other day. They're like, you know, how do you, how do you, uh, how do you get people to be willing to fail? They're talking about that. And I, and I said, well, first you got to change your relationship with failure. Let's talk about that. Like, how do you process it? And they're like, oh, I don't know. I never thought about that. And I said, well, let me give you two kind of schools of thought and see where you land. So there's the Giannis Antetokounmpo interview last year when he, you know, famously said it went viral where it's like, hey, there is no failure. There's just steps to success the whole way. There's just steps to success. Yeah. Great interview um, that he was talking about that. Then on the other side, there's Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter, 20 years with the Yanks, five world championships. He says all the time, every year we did not win a world series. It was a failure. So which is it? Is it there is no failure and there's steps to success or it's like, yeah, there's failure. And my point is, doesn't matter either. What matters is what you do the next day. So I don't care if you call it steps to success. I really don't care if you call it failure. What matters to me are the behaviors that you choose to do the following day on how are you going to get better and what are you committed to that day? So it's like, let's just get past this like whole labeling this and that. And let's just get into the process, as you described, of just like getting better every day. Did you, did you succeed? Cool. Go do the thing today. Did you fail? Sorry. Go do the thing today. Right. It always kind of goes back to the do the thing today and let's get better and, and move forward. Well, people also so focused on, like I was giving you an example, guys came in, they were super beat up from all the training they were doing. I had a, a full, um, I don't really train people. Let's put that out. We do a lot of online stuff. I mean, we thousands of people via this. Uh, I take on a few special cases a year where people are uh, like just very unique in a lot of ways. And I'm like, man, this is something unique that I can use to effectively drive power athletes. So Train these pro BJJ guys, um, you know, had the opportunity to bring world champions into the gym and test a lot of the training that we had been doing on a sport that I wasn't familiar with. And so after I started training them, I started doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and now I have a blue belt and I go roll with these guys and uh, they're absolute savages. Like they like when I, I mean that in a good way. Uh, we had a UK guy that I used the word savage and he was very upset about it because I guess that's a negative or maybe he was from Africa. I can't remember. But um these are top dudes and I show up and I roll with them and they're all, you know, six, four, two fifty, And they, I do their training. So I know exactly how strong they are and you get out and they're extremely talented and very skilled. And, uh, I have my skill set, which is, you know, I used to smash people for 10 years and I've absorbed a little bit of their stuff, but, um, I have, but I also have, uh, an internal processing of movement that like, I just don't, you know, I mean, to, as a professional athlete, you know, this, like, I'm sure you swing a bat and you knew based upon the ball, how you swung that bat or you watched it and you're like, man, I know where my foot was at. Like I could make micro decisions based on what they happened just within my own body. So as I'm rolling, I know exactly where that foot, that guy put his foot was because of this and this and this. And I know all these things and I can see these outcomes happening and I still can't stop them. So as we were, you know, going in to do this stuff, it's, uh, Oh, sorry. I went off a little deviation, but, um, I don't really, train people in this way. And then, uh, my other one is, uh, 
very rich older guy who hit me up and he was like, I need to put on muscle. Can you help me? And I was like, sure. 100%. Like, and it's dope that I get to talk to this guy. So, uh, on these different special cases, but, uh, what's been really fascinating to work with these, like, you know, like really high performers and people at that high deal, you start trying to like dial into like, okay, what has made this person unique? And what, um, what I've come to the conclusion is uh, a level of flexibility where this isn't working. I'll try something else. And they're in this constant, like malleable, they're not rigid. And I, I, what I've run into people that are failure is they're so rigid that they can't adjust to their failure. I almost look at failure like if I'm if I'm sailing a boat or you know like I'm in a bumper car and I'm trying to drive and something hits me from the side and I redirect and I redirect and I redirect and I'm malleable to where I can kind of take these little bumps to continue to drive. All of a sudden, if you're so rigid holding this, when it hits you, it drives you off and you can't do it. So it's like failure is just like little bumps that keep you driving straight down the road. And as long as you take these little bumps and realize like the the little bumps are part of the like you said, the maturation, really the learning process. Yeah. And as long as I'm not holding the wheel so tight that that thing drives me out and wrecks my car, because that's what happens. I'm sure you run into people one bad game and all of a sudden they're like ready to throw in the towel and quit and they can't process it. Yeah. And you're like, dude, is this the first time you've ever lost? And they're like, yes. And you're like, Oh shit. I've been losing since I was six years old. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. like I, I, I never, um, and I grew up with two brothers, uh, older brothers, and like they never let me win at anything. You know, my brother and I had like a 30-year-long ping-pong game. Every time we see a ping-pong table, we play. I didn't win for like 29 years, and we still went and played. And it's like anywhere we go, like, there's a ping-pong table. You want to play? Fucking 30 years. I'm like, let's say today's the day. Today is my day to win. And my brother's like, you're either stupid or mental resilience to think that you're going to beat me today and I end up beating him. And I was like, screw you. You know, like it's, uh, but like, I'm, I'm always so fascinated, especially with kids where they get, or even, even I've run into this too, like defeated, like, oh, you know, and even on things, other things, like I got fired from his job or I got divorced or this. I mean, my whole life is over and it's like, dude, I mean, these, these are terrible things to happen. I'm sorry they did. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that this is the end that like game over cash out, put another quarter in, let's figure out what you made mistakes on and not continue to make the same fucking mistakes over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you you speak to a really important thing that I try to share with a lot of people around us, the importance of identity, right? And so this is kind of like my framework, my mental model for how I work with, with athletes or business executives. Um, I'll just work backwards. Let's deconstruct it. Right. So it's like, Hey, let's talk let's do it. Um, actions, performance, behaviors, whatever you want to talk about. That's, that's the thing. That's the output, right? So why did I do that thing? Why did I perform that way? Why did I, why did I do that action? Well, I can tell you, you probably did that because you felt like it, right? It's our emotions that influence our actions. We'll talk more about separating from emotions. We've already talked about that a little bit, but most people, it's our emotions that influence our actions. Well, then the next thought is like, well, why, why was I feeling that certain way? Why did I have that emotion, anger, whatever it might be? Well, it's because of our thoughts, right? So it's our thoughts that determine our emotions. Our emotions influence our actions. Next piece is like, well, why was I thinking that way? Why was I having those particular thoughts? Why was I holding on to those things? Well, that goes to our perspective, right? So how I see the world determines how I think about it. How I see the situation, how I see this game, how I interpret this loss, whatever it might be, determines how I think about it. How I think about it determines how I feel, how I feel influences ultimately what I do next, right? Well, the last piece is like, why the heck do I see the situation that way, right? Why is my perspective? Well, that goes to our identity. And that's the whole thing is how I see myself is how I see the world, right? Mm-hmm. And then how I see the world determines how I think about it, it kind of goes to that whole step, right? And so the identity piece is, is huge, Right. And, and for me, there's kind of three things that go in that, and that's beliefs, core values. You mentioned your core values earlier. 
and then self-image, right? Kind of three areas. And so beliefs, those are those deep rooted, deep seated things. Research tells us we get these things by the time we're about eight years old, based on our community we're living in, what we're watching, what we're read to, you know, kind of all those type of things. Those are those deep rooted, deep seated things. Core values, these are these things that we choose. We kind of get in high school, college, our brain starts to more fully develop. We start seeing like, oh, I like the way that looks, or I like that person, or hey, I, you know, something maybe that was impactful to you. And all of a sudden you start to choose these core values, things that are going to start to guide you. These are more conscious, right? Like these are the things that are going to guide me going forward. But the thing that makes mindset so stinking tricky is the self-image piece. Because the self-image piece, this is context specific. So example I'll share is like, I've been in professional sports 24 years, right? Professional baseball locker rooms. Um, I can have a conversation with a general manager. General manager calls me and say, hey, let's talk about this team. How can we make this team better? Let's go. Let's have that conversation. I don't worry about it. Had a ton of experience. Um, feel like I, I can I can carry a good conversation. I kind of know where we need to get to. But if like I have a leak in my sink here at my house, I can just tell you like, you're probably more of a handyman than I am. Like if there's a leak in my sink, I like start to like, oh shoot, it's like, is this a load bearing wall? Like we got black mold. Like where's this whole, like I just start like, you know, kind of freak out about yeah, it. Yeah, it has nothing to yeah. do with my beliefs or core values, all about self-image of how I see myself and my ability to keep, make sure my house is working. Right. And so it's like, so because I don't see myself as someone that can probably handle that. And it's going to be three trips to Home Depot, eight hours of YouTube video, you know, like it's going to be that. Now my perspective kind of start freaking out. My thoughts start going crazy and I kind of get, you know, anxious around it. So anyway, so I go back to like identity, right? And it's like, what do you believe Core values, right? And, and self-image, like how do you see yourself showing up? And, and there are ways that we can intentionally craft those things, right? A lot of times that's why trust is so important in a coaching relationship because the best improvements you're ever going to make with someone is when you start talking about core values, right? And you start talking about really how you see yourself and how you want to see yourself going forward. And then the second piece is around perspective. So the best work I ever do, I can tell you, is when we're talking perspective and identity. That's the best work I ever do. If we're in the emotional management strategy phase, which is, again, very helpful, right? Learn about some deep breathing techniques, learn how to slow your heart rate, right? Kind of those things. Those are important. But if you're always going to that because every moment feels so big, well, shoot, let's talk about why that moment feels so big for you, right? Because that now that like now we're getting into some reframing stuff, you know, where there's thought management strategies. Hey, self-talk is self-talk important? Absolutely, right? But if we just stop there, you know, and you're always trying to talk yourself into it, well, there's probably something deeper going on. So let's back that up. Right. So anyway, I share that. I'm like, that's kind of my mental model. So when, you know, someone's goes through a divorce or maybe a tough loss, we start to unpack, like, why did that, why does that bother you so much? And I can tell you, I had a conversation with someone the other day and it was, um, it was a tough conversation. We finally got there though, but it was like, they were struggling in work, struggling at home, come to find out, well, their entire identity was based on who they were married to and the work they were doing. Well, guess what? When you base everything on those two things and your marriage is not good and your performance at work's not good, your perspective, your thoughts, that's why you're a mess, right? And so it's like, and again, life's freaking hard, you know, like we all go through this. And so now it's like, hey, well, let's unpack. And now let's figure out what are some things that you can control? What are some things that you want to really put your identity in? And it's been a great, I mean, it's um, excruciatingly hard for someone to go through that, I had to go through that too, right? But it's like, once you start to get clarity on who you are and what you want to be about, it starts to make decisions that you make every day. You can make them with more purpose. You operate with more clarity. You feel better about what you're doing. You know, you're more in control of your life, right? You're controlling your three foot world. You're not letting the world control you, you know, all those types of things. So um, anyway, so, so when you mentioned that, that's what I started to think about was like, just the importance of the 
identity piece and how that impacts us going forward? Uh, dude, man, that is so impactful. Like all I could think about, um, and it was actually on this call the other day, one of the questions the guys asked me was how did you reframe your identity once you were no longer a professional football player? And football was really interesting. I mean, it's really the only thing I enjoyed doing in this world. I mean, I got paid a lot of money um, to lift weights, train, and just basically go fuck people up for three hours on the field in cool game unis and travel and do it and basically beat up the toughest dudes in the world for three hours in front of millions of people. Pretty cool. I loved the violence. Like, I love the process and the violence. And um, all of a sudden, one day, you get hurt. You can't do it anymore. Um, I had surgery. The surgery surgeon was way too aggressive, too much uh, bleeding and swelling, had to get a second surgery to clean up what the first surgeon did, missed the whole year and then some, and then that was in year 10. I missed it year 11. And I thought, man, this is, I'm not like, what am I going to do? Mark and come back in year 11. Like I just kind of missed the window by selecting the wrong surgeon. Wow. And, uh, you know, it was, it was hard because this is what I did. I mean, this is what my identity and I felt I had a lot of good football left in me and somebody makes a decision kind of for you in a lot of ways. Um, and we were joking that, you know, very few people get to be the Jeter and these guys and ride off into the sunset with like, you know, and, and you know, next thing you know, you're rock and roll. But um, that piece of like, how did you redefine your identity when your identity was so wrapped up in this? And I was like, I know why I like depression and drugs. And I know why, you know, a lot of guys kill themselves in this because this is all they had done. And this was their entire world and no longer just that world. And it's not like you can kind of do that world. You either do it or you don't or your periphery. Right. And being a coach. You know, uh, it, does that scratch the itch? For some guys, it doesn't. For a lot of guys, it doesn't. I mean, it, I know it doesn't. Um, because a lot of guys love to be the man in the arena. Like, I'm standing on the field, the sun is on my face, and I get a chance to do what I love to do in front of these people. Coach is standing on the sideline coaching people to do it. It's this, like, arm's length transaction, which is fine for some people. Like, I had my time, now I'm going to mentor other people. And that's, like, a completely change in the mindset. And then a lot of the coaches get egos. The next thing you know, you're, you know, uh, um, Bill Belichick or, you know, for April or these guys where it's like, it's all me. And you're like, oh God, we're fucking coaching. Um, so uh, there has to be this kind of change in the mindset and kind of a pivot. And those guys asked me about it. And I was like, you know, uh, it was something I loved to do in the day that I couldn't do it anymore. I wasn't willing to do it at a lesser level than with the highest one I competed in. You know, and even like now I think back, I'm like, I could have been a good locker room guy and hung around and worked with the young guys, but I would have fucking hated it. Yeah. And, uh, the, you know, the line from Goodwill hunting where he's like, at least I won't be unoriginal. Whereas like, you don't want to be a fraud, you know, you want to do it. Remember how you, how good you were. And then, you know what, clap the book and go and do something else. And I was very fortunate to do something else very quickly and just kind of like launched into it with the same kind of aptitude at which I had done everything else. And, um, for me, the transition, uh, wasn't all that difficult, but it was hard to leave behind something that you really love to do. But, um, you know, and you just kind of make peace with it and you find other ways to be it. And you realize like, just cause I was successful there doesn't mean I can't be successful in other places. Um, I, I really believe within this lifetime, we get a chance to live many lifetimes. Like this is like in multiple iterations of myself. So now I need to like create a new iteration and who's this next person. And, um, you know, the constant state of growth, like I love to, um, uh, learn skills and attain skills, you know, and like, I'm constantly in this evolution of learning, especially like learning to work with my hands and creating things and like pushing these things in boundaries, whether it be, you know, like the podcast room, which we built, I mean, these other, like a million other things, but there always has to be something where you're like, you know what, I'm going to push myself outside the comfort zone to continue to get better. 
And then, you know, the minute that I feel stagnant or I feel stuck, that's where you're like, you feel like this creeping little, not like depression, but gloom come under you. And you're like, I need to go outside and go do something or fix something or build something or create something new just for the fact that I need a new project or I need something to focus on because uh, without it, we just sit around and, you know, woe is me and Fox boy kicked the can. Yeah. And so I think for professional athletes and, um, you know, I've spoken to it a little bit, but I'd love to hear your take on like that transitional piece that, you know, you said, I just thought it was hilarious. You got done playing. You were like this fucking one year I was away from baseball because it's really what you love and it's what your identity needs. Yeah. And it's not like, you know, Hey, like I, you know, and I don't get to swing the bat, but I, I get a chance to work with these players and it's allowed you to build this version of yourself that you're happy with. And uh, I feel like for the players that can't find that, um, it's a bad thing. Yeah. And I, I don't know how to mentor players on the other side of that to find this. Cause I've had a lot of guys hit me up. Hey, I just got done. Like, what should I do now? And I'm like, you know, cause very few guys get that phone call. Hey, we need you on the sports decks. You know, uh, NFL football channel wants you to buy a bunch of suits and show up and talk about sports. I mean, fuck, yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like a dream <laughs> job, but how many guys get that? Very, very few. Right. And the guys that do, I'm, I'm so stoked they have them. But, you know, and you still get to kind of live that pro athlete lifestyle where I'm talking about it. I get to wear cool suits. I'm kind of a celebrity. I get to go to games. So they get to live on the periphery in a different place. But it's still not the real world because yeah. that shit can end real quick, too. Yeah, no, that that's a great point. Um, you, you mentioned a couple things there that I definitely want to highlight. I can tell you when I first started coaching, like, I mean, uh, when the Giants asked me to coach, I was not prepared. I just went in at the end of spring training. I said, hey, I can't do this anymore. Uh, not very good. I was a switch hitter. I tried to play my last year just batting right-handed just because of the shoulder surgeries I had. Well, for anyone that's ever played baseball, when you go from switch hitting to just batting one side, um, just be prepared to get your stuff shoved in, you know? And so it was like, it wasn't great. Um, so I was like, all right, this ain't going to work. Um, so told them, uh, Hey, you know, done. And they said, well, we want you to coach. And I said, well, that sounds terrible. I don't want to do that. You know? So I went home and told my wife, Hey, I'm retired today. I'm not doing this anymore. She said, well, we have an eight month old, you know, kind of goes back to the, you know, I'm not the smartest guy going to need some health insurance. She's like, what are you going to do for a job? And I said, well, um, well, they asked me to coach. I got three days to think about it. She's like, well, let's just try it. See how it goes. So I can tell you my first year of coaching sucked, man. I hated it. I was depressed. Um, wasn't very good. I wanted to be the person in there and it did. It took a real mindset shift to really think about like, why, why am I doing this? Like, what is it? Like, I can't play anymore. Like, you almost have to get this thing like, I'm not going to play in the big league. I'm not going to make a career of this. It's over. It's done. And just had to get closure, right? And it's kind of like, it's like one of those things when you get to the championship and you watch the other team celebrate right in front of you. It's really important to see that because it's over. Yeah. It sucks, yeah. but it's over, you know? Dude, I, I did it, man. We played in three NFC championship, three NFC championship games with the Eagles. And the first one I walked off, the last two, I watched the other team celebrate and I watched their deal. That should have been us. And uh, fucking stinks like nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can tell you, like, I mean, we just had to do it this year. We watched, you know, as consultant with the Dimebacks. And I can even tell you as a consultant, I mean, although I'm not like fully in it every day, my heart is in it, right? Because it's like baseball guy. And it's like to watch the Rangers celebrate at Chase Field in Arizona right in front of you when you, you know, go on this great playoff run, you're trying to win a world championship. It's like, yeah, man, it's like a kick, you know, right, right in the, in the, you know, where. So point being is, um, it is a mindset shift that you have to get to and you need closure from one, 
from one place to the next, right? It is like, you know, it's, um, you know, I think in the world of psychology, it's called like identity foreclosure, right? It's like, you got to close on the house. It's over with, right? We're done with that. Um, and, and it is different for everyone. But one thing that you said that I, I really want to hone in on was talk about like, hey, I like to do things that challenge me. And that's the thing as athletes that I think sometimes we don't realize that we do every day is like every day we get up to practice, every day we get up to work out, every day we get it, you know, going to a game or whatever it is. It's like we're walking into a challenge, right? We're going to challenge ourselves in the weight room. Can I lift a little more? Can I do a little more here? And the thing about why that's so important to challenge ourselves is because that's one of the necessary ingredients to experience flow, to, to experience mm. a flow state, right? Being just be fully present, right? And so, and we know our best lives are found when we can spend the most time in a flow state. So think about that for a moment. It's like when you leave as an athlete, the thing that you've done every day, whether consciously or subconsciously, is you've exposed yourself to a challenging beyond your comfort zone environment and you're all in. That's what life is about, man. Like that's flow, yeah. right? And so when you leave that thing that you love so much that challenged you every day and you go into you know, sitting down, sending emails or whatever you're trying to do. It's like, that's the part of you that's missing. You're like, where is that at? You know? And so what I found, and you found this like in, in things that you've built and, and other things like that. But so let's just talk about yeah. flow for and competing and stuff. Like we, we had a uh, Stephen Collar, uh, no Cutler on the podcast and the flow state and all mm. that. Like I like it, man, that, that is, uh, that's the addiction. Yeah. You have to find things that are like the intensity has to get ramped up high enough to force you into it. And when, you know, you're used to like a hundred thousand people screaming in these kind of moments, like, I don't know, going and doing small mundane tasks right. don't fill. Yeah. You know, it just doesn't. Right. And I, and I think that's the, when you talk about doesn't fill, it's like, Hey, let's just start. And that kind of goes to the foreclosure piece. Well, let's, let's stop trying to fill that cup. Like that cup is gone. Let's put that cup away. Let's throw it away. Right. We're trying to look for a new cup. And I think that goes back to establishing like, like, what did you love about sport? Like, what'd you love about competing every day? What'd you love about moving a man from point A to point B against his will? What did you love about the violin? Like, like, what did you love about all those things? And then start to extract like what you really loved about it. And then let's just start to unpack some things like, well, what does, what does life have to offer outside of prof professional sports? that kind of has some of those elements, right. You know, that, that you really love deep down um, and kind of, and, and Steven's going to know more about, you know, flow state than mine. Like I try to keep it as simple as possible in my, my little brain here, but it's just like, I think about three things, right. And, and, you know, research supports this too, but it's like, you need a clear specific goal. When we're talking about flow state, it's gotta be a clear specific goal has to be beyond your comfort zone. Talk about that challenging piece. And then you gotta be able to see kind of some progress that's being made along the way. Right. Mm. Which I think, um, that's why people probably find a flow state when they're climbing uh, the side of a cliff or a rock, right? You know, it's like clear, specific goal, get to the top, you know, <laughs> like definitely be on your comfort zone and you're making progress along the way, right? So when I think about that, though, it's like, that's why it's tough to sometimes find a flow state in business, right? It's like, sometimes there's not always a clear, specific goal. Sometimes it is extremely mundane. It's like, oh, another email that I'm just going to copy and paste and send over here. Right. Um, it is hard. Am I really making progress in this sales cycle? I don't know, you know, like all those types of things. And so that's why it's so difficult to move from the arena, which provides a really clear, specific goal. That's always beyond your comfort zone. Right. Um, and you can see the progress, whether that's a scoreboard, whether we just scored, whether, you know, we're battling back and forth, but it's also, I think it also speaks to a little bit 
the the key and i think one of the arts to life is like is to find the thing just beyond your comfort zone and this is like why life is so gray and it, there, it's an art and not a science is because if it's too far outside your comfort zone well you either select out or now you're stressed out you're anxious right you know it's like what am i even doing here you know and so there's like this there's the sweet spot and for me that's the art of life is like finding that sweet spot of like just challenging enough that demands your full attention and you're kind of enjoying what you're doing. You know where you're trying to get to and you can see the progress you're making. And so helping athletes find that, whatever that is, right? And that goes to back like trying to figure out what the heck did you love about your sport that there's other walks of life that can offer some of that. Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't think that anything will ever replace if really you get to that level to be able to do it. Um, and I always think for baseball, like I was joking about, like the guy's ability to waste time. I don't know where you do that in, in any other place other than a baseball deal. Like, oh, the game's not till six. I'm going to get there over there at like 9 a.m. and just fuck around all day. Like there's really no job that's going to pay you the money to be able to have that little like uh, screwing around. But, um, you know, and I know most of the guys, it's a reason they love to get into coaching because it's a very similar lifestyle. It's an easy transition. Hey, I can't play anymore. I can mentor and bring on younger players and help them. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, uh, they always ask me, did you want to coach? And I was like, nah, not really. I would have been more interested in actually working in the front office and talent evaluation and kind of doing that. And in hindsight, um, you know, seeing what John Lynch has done with the San Francisco 49ers and, you know, I know John played against him and seeing like how he got into that front office. I look at that and I thought, man, that would have been really exciting to do, to be on not only like, coaching team acquisition, player acquisition, coaching acquisition, uh, this talent piece, being able to put this whole thing together, assemble, and then, you know, managing, you know, having somebody manage the cap and figure out, like, I think that is the most fascinating part. I secretly hope somebody I know buys a team and hires me to do it. Um, but I should have put myself out there to do that. And the way you do it is, hey, can I be an intern? Yeah. Can I work in the office? Like I was, if you look at like the evolution kind of climbing the, the the rungs ladders of like all of these professional sports it all starts with like an unpaid internship yeah I, I came in and swept the floor you know the uh you know i cut film for you know 20 hours a day for six months until finally they gave me a job sweeping the floor and now 10 years later here i am the general manager i mean it's always a work your way up and i think where most people fail is they have to humble themselves to enter that first stage like hey i was a professional football player i did this now here I am as an unpaid intern and I'm sweeping the floors and like that ability to humble yourself. I mean, that's the age old, you know, Bruce Lee, empty your cup. Um, you know, you were a star on this side. You want to be a star on this side. You better empty your cup and learn this yeah. and finding a, you know, a mentor. And that's, um, that's something I've really, I've come to understand, uh, over, you know, the last 40 plus years of my life. Um, and I, I talked about this the other day when I was on that call, you know, uh, you know, there's two, at least I view for, for men, there's two impactful times in their life. One, when you father children and not that you have to, you know, I tell people all the time, like, if you don't want to get married, don't get married. If you don't want to have kids, don't have kids. They are by far the self, most selfish beings on the planet. And as a parent, if you want to be a good parent, you cannot be selfish. So if you're a selfish person, it's all about you. Like, just don't bring kids into the world because it's not going to help them. It's not going to help you. And you're going to feel bad for being a bad parent. And like, sure. I have friends that are like, I'm extremely selfish. I want to travel. I want all my money to myself. I don't want to do this. And I'm like, dude, then don't have kids. Don't feel like you have to. But I do feel that as a, as a, you know, own, having kids and um, I feel like those two pieces of having children and then also the day that your father passes away. You know, I lost my dad a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. I view those two things 
Uh, and, you know, and some people that were raised by their mom, my mom's still alive. Um, you know, I'm sure that'll, I'll add that one to it, but like, you know, no longer can you pick up the phone to get that fatherly advice or that sage advice, you know, cause that's what fathers do. I, my, my kids are convinced that the job, the role of the father is to give life lessons and be grumpy. They're like, it's all you do. You just, you're, you're, you're grumpy. And you give us life lessons. And I'm like, well, it's cause I'm constantly doing stuff and I'm always busy. And they're like, all you do is you're grumpy and you, and you try to teach us things. I'm like, well, that's all really dad's do. That's all my dad was. He was grumpy and told me things. Um, so, but like those two things are impactful. And I think for professional athletes, like you have to figure out what's impactful. Like one, did you do the job that you're proud of? That's another really interesting piece that since I've been out, I've met a lot of guys who played, but didn't really play, showed up, had a training camp, what I call having a cup of coffee in the league. And, you know, went to a couple, few training camps, never made an active roster didn't do it, but they still looked the part and they still kind of played. And there's some pictures of them kind of playing. And, um, yeah, I meet these guys and like, Oh yeah, I played. And then you kind of, you know, dig in, Hey, where'd you play? You know, this, and you can hear it real quick. Uh, then they figure out like, Oh shit, this dude was a 10 year starter. You know, like it's, um, it's kind of a, a different thing. And I sometimes wonder if, uh, they showed up and they didn't get to do the job that they wanted. So there's, Oh, but they're associated with it where people will forever ask them. I mean, you're 6'5", 265, 270-pound dude rolling around. People are like, did you ever play football? Right. You're like, I did. You know, I played college and played a little bit in the NFL. And, you know, that's all they have to say and instantly. But, like, they're telling something that, like, is true, but it's not like, yeah, I had, a, you know, played for a decade and, you know, won a Super Bowl with Tom Brady and, you know, like, go through, you know, now I'm at the Hall of Fame. You know, there's very few people that get that story. But, like, that's the story that everybody wants. Like, nobody wanted to be average. Nobody wanted to get hurt in year two and not have it. And so uh, I run into people that had a chance at it, but didn't necessarily have the, let me get this better. Hold on, hold on. Okay. That wasn't talking to the mic. Um, Didn't have the experience that they wanted. So then coming to peace with, okay, I did this. It wasn't what I wanted. That's okay. Cause I'm going to succeed in something else. For me, I was successful in what I did. So I just had to like retool the same, kind of framework to apply it in different places. So, um, you know, that piece I think is, is important, but then also like, who are you, who, who am I without this and how do I identify myself? And more importantly, when people meet me, they want to put us into boxes. So what's the box that I I'm in now? I'm a big dude. So they're going to think I played football, but I don't play football anymore. So what's my next one? They think I'm a dummy, you know, probably for a long time I had a slight, you know, maybe I did, maybe I didn't, but, um, you know, having gone to Berkeley, I was a rhetoric major, all these things where, you know, you meet people, meet you, and they think, oh, this guy's going to be a lug. And you're like, no, 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 I've got multiple, you know, I got a degree from Berkeley and this, and, you know, do your best to try to take, have them take you out of that box. But for a lot of guys, they don't do it. They just get stuck in these boxes, and then people just kind of push them away. But, you know, that idea is like, as a guy retires, making peace with who you are, and then more importantly, being excited about who you are and then putting a plan together to become that person and then realizing that, you know, unlike much like football, you're going to fail. You're going to be great. I mean, not everybody's going to have success in everything like the, the, you know, wealthy older guy I talked to who's told me, he's like, I've lost fortunes and I've made fortunes. And he's like, I, as learning the fortune or losing the fortunes allowed me to make the final fortune, which now he's, you know, uber rich. But he's like, all of those were like, I thought everything was down and then this led me to this. And he goes, without all those, I wouldn't have the framework to be successful like I am today. And I, I was like, shit, that sucks. You had to lose a whole bunch, but you know, at which point were you successful? He's like, it was in my forties and my fifties. 
I lost a lot in my thirties and forties. And then I hit big in my fifties. I'm like, shit, that's wild. You know, but it just means he's like, as long as you stay in the game and you're constantly moving, you do good business and you don't fuck people over. He's like, you're always going to have a way to pivot and and people willing to help you. Now, if you burn every bridge and you're a real piece of shit, then people are going to come out with knives and try to kill you. And I was like, okay, (laughs) you know, be honest before, you know, like all, all the things that your mom told you when you were six years old, like don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, you know, be a good person, be a good friend. If you want to have a friend, all of those things that every kid should learn at six, all of a sudden you're 46 become very real where you're like, man, like this is important stuff. And more importantly, I need to know who I am and go forth in the world and put my best foot forward. Yeah. No, I mean, as you're talking about like the cup of coffee guys, right. It's like, that was, that was me, right. I was the cup of coffee baseball player was like, yeah, I wanted to play forever. Um, you know, mentioned the the five surgeries, the the season ending injuries, and then went to a couple major league camps, never made the active roster. So it's like, yeah, I got the pictures. I got the the stuff, you know? And, and so, and it was coming to peace with like, okay, the thing that I wanted since as long as I can remember is not going to happen. It's not, it's over. Right. And it's like, that's a tough thing to do to think about, like, man, I chased this, you know, call it probably 20 year goal. Right. It was the thing that was in front of me for 20 years. And it's like, not going to happen. And it ends quick. We know this, right? In sports, yeah. the season ends quick. Like it's it's every day and then that's it. We're done, you know? And yeah. Ca- yeah. career's the same, right? It's like you put all this energy and effort and, and, and in one day, done. And then the industry moves on, right? And there's a game next week and, you know, everybody keeps going and you're like, shoot, right? And it's just you and everybody else keeps going. And so it's definitely a, um, it is definitely a, a time where you got to get real with yourself, right? It, it, it's just, there's no other way around it, right? And that's why I encourage people all the time. It's like, you got to go talk to somebody about it, right? Because it's like, it's it's easier to tackle something out in front of me. You know, if I can like speak it, say it, and I start to look at it and I go, you know what? All right, I see what I'm kind of saying. Then I can kind of go get it and, and do something with it versus just spinning my head all day long, you know? And so um, that transition to me. And that's one thing that I hope we all get better at in general, right? Where it's just like helping professional athletes transition out of sport, because I think the skill set, the work ethic, the leadership capability, the ability to work in high pressure environments with different background people that were raised different than me, that look different than me, that have to, but we all can come together for a given amount of time and give all of ourselves to something bigger than ourselves, right? It's like, how else do you train that outside of sport? You don't, right? And that's why I love sports so much. Like if me, if I was, if I was had a really important job, I would make every kid play sport. Just like we make every kid play math or go to math and go to English. Like every kid must play sports. Every kid, right? Because you learn teamwork, you learn communication, you learn how to fail, you learn how to succeed, you learn all those things. You learn how to work with people different than you. You learn how to be vulnerable in the arena, right? You learn how to like put all of yourself into something and people cheer, boot. I mean, you learn all those things. And that's why I think for me, like coaching, and that's why I've gotten into coaching so much where it's like, I'm so passionate about youth coaches, college coaches specifically, where it's like, you know, you are getting someone at their most vulnerable time. Right. It's like there is an emotional component to learning, right? The best teachers uh, attach some sort of emotion to it. Well, is there anything more emotional than sport? I don't think so. You know, and so it's like when you're burying your soul on a field in front of a lot of people that you've spent years or weeks, whatever it is, training to win this game, I don't think there's anything more emotional than that. And then so take that emotional loss or win. And now the coach comes in and has something to say to you about that. 
that's going to hang in your that's going to hang in your brain for a while, right? It's like I can't tell you how many things I've unpacked with athletes along the way. It's like, well, this coach told me once, right? This coach said, you know, it's like, shoot, man, you're letting that narrative run over and over. And it's like, well, yeah, because I mean, he wasn't wrong. And, you know, and it's like, yeah, but it wasn't helpful either, right? And so then we start to unpack, is it true? Is it kind? Is it helpful? You start asking questions around that. But that's why to me, like when I think about coaching, it's like your talk coach, like your your spoken word is probably going to become your athlete's self-talk. So you better be real careful and choose your words very carefully because what you're about to tell them after this practice or game is going to start spinning in their head, right? And so that, and then essentially that's going to become their self-talk, which as we talked earlier, like you think about, you know, uh, our thoughts become emotions, emotions influence actions. Well, that narrative long enough, that self-talk starts to go the other way too. It starts to shape my perspective, ultimately becomes my identity, right? Because that that train works both ways. And so that's why for me, when I think about transitioning out of sport, just the role of like coaching and being an excellent communicator, building trust, which I don't know how the NFL specifically is. I know how baseball is, you know, it's like, I think we're getting better at training coaches in this, you know, but I used to yeah. joke where it's just like, uh, you know what it takes to be a professional coach? Uh, two things. Did you play and do I know you? If you got those two things, come on, yeah. come on. Let me give you the keys to the, <sighs> this franchise. You know, it blows me away. <laughs> I, um, no, I, um, oh man, how do I say this? And that's like a complete fucking asshole. But uh, I've seen coaches who have big time jobs that are you know, not necessarily good coaches. And you watch, you know, the quality of what you're doing and they don't really have like, is there a pedigree associated with it? Like, did you need to play the game to know it? Um, I don't always think that the, um, God, who was it? It was, um, uh, I can't remember who, who the, uh, the hitter was. It was like, I mean, it was something that, like, like one of the, fuck, I can't remember. Well, you'll probably know the story, but, um, you know, one of the greatest hitters in baseball, uh, when he retired, they brought him on as a hitting coach. And as he was kind of coaching the guys in the, you know, in, in the box during, you know, BP, he's going through and he's like, uh, Hey, um, uh, you know, at like the minute that the ball leaves the pitcher's hands, you should be able to call out and read the pitch. And so they're like, kind of look over and he gets the guy to throw him and he's like curve. Right. And he's, and he's basically calling the pitch as soon as it leaves the hand. And these guys are looking at him and they were like, uh, you know, he starts getting mad at them. Like hey, fucking call the, you know, call the pitch, call the pitch. And they're like, how the fuck are you calling the pitch? He's like, I can see the rotation and I can read the laces the minute it leaves its hand. And they all like looked at him and like, what? He's like, yeah, I can see the ball and I can read the pitch based on the rotation as soon as it leaves the hands and I know where to swing. And uh, he's like, why you guys can't? And they were like, no, what the fuck are you talking about? You know, and there was a guy that in, you know, wasn't a great coach because his skill set was so unique yeah. that how, how are you going to coach? I mean, like that's insanity. I can't remember what it was like Ted Williams or... I mean, some amazing hitter in baseball, yeah. um, uh, but like that's, you know, uh, part of the reason when, uh, you know, you get into this coaching thing. And I sometimes wonder if ex-players that did it at a high level, um, you know, like the fucking one of my favorites is Deion Sanders up there talking about toughness and this whole thing because Deion was not tough. Uh, I played against him. I dove over the pile to take a fucking cheap shot at him and knocked him out and got up and he told me I ain't trying to touch nobody. I ain't trying to tackle nobody out here. My job is to lock motherfuckers down and how dare you touch me. So like to hear him get up and fucking motherfuck all these kids in Colorado and talk about all this stuff in this Dion was not fucking bringing the fucking hat. He wasn't showing up to knock motherfuckers out. 
it's like um, you know Ray Lewis. Uh, all of his highlights, you look against tight ends or running backs. He loved to hit those guys. Anytime he got a big lineman on him, he wasn't happy about it. So, I mean, like, there's a lot of guys that wanted, you know, that have gone back in what I call historical revisionists. Not yeah. to say Ray's not a great player. He was. He was a lot of fun to play against. But, I mean, I think some of these dudes have gone back with a little historical revision, which, you know, allows them to kind of build the myth of themselves a little bit. And Dion's done great. He's an incredible marketer. I don't know how great a coach he is. I mean, you know, fuck there for what it felt like about three, two or three months ago, he was ready to, you know, get a head job in the NFL and fucking unseat Andy Reid is the best to ever do it. I mean, the media fucking jumped on him and then they just tanked, um, you know, and he's like, you know, working with these kids and this and, you know, the NIL, it looks like a fucking disaster from where I sit. Yeah. But uh, there is, you know, and, and then even in the NFL, there's a really interesting kind of like, you know, for, for a long time, for a guy to get a job, he had to be in his like 50s, 60s, having like, literally climb the fucking tree from like sweeping the floor assistant in here. And after 20 years as a coordinator, finally you get a job, you know, Bill Belichick, who's, you know, been there 26 years. And now all of a sudden they bring in, uh, what's his name to the Rams? Um, uh, Sean McVay, yeah. right. He comes in at like 32 and now all of a sudden everybody wants these young coaches and the guy down in Miami and here, and you look at the guy, uh, you know, at the Niners and green Bay. I mean, they, they basically just X'd out this old coaching tree. And brought in a lot of like young dudes who had big ideas and realized that like this is the game. This is a different game than what these guys were talking about. But then there's Andy Reid, the old walrus, still in there beating them all. Yeah. And, you know, here's the only coach in history to take two teams to 100 wins and six AFC championship games. And, uh, you know, he did the same thing in Philly. So it's fascinating. But what I'm trying to get to in this long fucking drawn out piece is uh, ex players are not always the best coaches because their skill set is such that it's not replicatable. Yeah. So that's something I had a conversation about with a guy with this morning is that for something to work, it has to be repeatable and replicatable. If I, if, if for example, if I, if I have a power athlete franchise of gyms and mine's the only successful one and I hand you the recipe to do it and you can't replicate what I've done and you can't make it repeatable. You can't like mimic the effects. Like, you know, the one thing we do is we do a lot of training programs and we work, uh, with a ton of athletes, the one thing that's been universal over the 10 plus years we've been doing this is that everybody that does the program, regardless if you're in the Arctic Circle down to New Zealand, and I know because I taught hundreds of seminars around the globe and met all these fucking people, had the exact same results as they did in Southern California and Texas and Bodo, Norway and this, that you know, if you lift heavy weights with consistency and move like an athlete through space and jump and throw and do all the things that we knew within the, you know, the, the uh, framework of the program, become a badass motherfucker. And, um, yeah, I traveled and met all these people and people showed up and I was like, Oh my God, this guy's like, what have you been doing? Exactly what you told me to. And those coaches used it to give kids college scholarships and win gold medals and go to the NFL and professional sports. Um, shit. Uh, what's the, what was the big hitter? Uh, uh, the white gorilla down in Houston. Um, uh, do with the big hands used to hit with no gloves in Houston. Yeah. For, for the Astros. Oh, uh, McCann. No. No, catcher? Um, no, he was a uh, uh, hitter. Uh, Evan Gaddis. Yeah. Gaddis. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Gaddis was sweeping up, fall, started following my training and went back and fucking just crushed the ball. And he's like, dude, if I hadn't have found you, I wouldn't have made it back to the major league or I wouldn't be in the majors. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, like I have years of these stories and, uh, you know, and I didn't even know this until he hit me on Twitter 
and was like, dude, uh, if I hadn't have found you, I wouldn't have played in, you know, somebody was asking me, he's like, I wouldn't have won, um, you know, any of the things that I had in, in major league baseball, if I hadn't heard the name John Wellborn and come on and power athlete and all that. That's cool, man. So, I mean, and found us organically. He's like, I was working as a janitor, found it. Next thing you know, like I started training and fall, you know, so like those stories like run rampant all over. But I always wonder sometimes if professional athletes, because they have this like inherent desire to win and skill set, aren't always great coaches. But what I think they can do is mentor. And that's yeah. kind of where I've, I, I've, you know, and like working with like the Brazilian Jiu Jitsu kids wasn't the fact that I was going to teach them jits. I mean, the strength conditioning piece is easy. Um, I, I hate to say this, but uh, we, I cracked that code years ago. Like I can make people big and strong and fast and dynamic. And like, like that's, that's a fucking recipe. I like, I can go bake that cake anywhere, anytime. And uh, with results that are anything short of phenomenal. And, uh, but what these kids really needed, you know, they're from Brazil. Um, they needed a solid, uh, like male figure in their life who was a mentor that could talk to them about being a professional and not a hobbyist, what it means to be the best and, and how to get out of your own way and not be, um, you know, fearful of success, you know, the fear of success should drive you, not cripple you mm. and, you know, not to fail and consistency in this and being as consistent as they are and like monitoring everything from like teaching them how to eat, what supplements they need to do. What are the little things they have to take care of that make them a professional? Because for the, for a lot of people, um, they don't know, as you know, you know, in professional sports, like there was always kind of, when you go to a baseball team, there's always like kind of dudes around where you didn't necessarily know what they did, but they were real good clubhouse guys. You know, they were guys you would go talk to in this and like that, like, I think that is so valuable in the NFL. Uh, we had guys that do it. We used to call them the brother coordinator. <laughs> where they were just like yeah. making like like they were the dude you went to and you didn't necessarily know what they did but they were there because they had a positive influence on people and i view really that as like my contribution to these guys because i'm fucking my jujitsu isn't good uh i can get them big and strong but really just being that solid figure where it's like anything like hey i you know uh, i gotta sort throughout what should i do we should go to the fucking emergency room I'm like <laughs> you know hey like this is happening or you know hey i'm late into this i'm like hey dude I know you think this is Brazilian time, but in America, it starts at two o'clock. You have to fucking yeah. be here. Now, what are you going to do for the punishment? You're five minutes late. You owe me fucking 50 pushups, you know, that type of like, you know, we can be, we can be cool. But like at the end of the day, like there's a job to be done, show up and be a professional, put that hat on. We're not fucking around. And so, um, I think for professional sports, the sooner you learn that the better. And whether it's, you know, you learned it growing up and you're just switched on kid, you learned it from, you know, watching Rocky movies. Or there's, you know, an older vet in the locker room who talks to you about being a professional, doing a job each day that you're proud of, that when you leave and you go walk, you put your stamp on. You know, there were guys when I was a young guy that talked about that. And, um, you know, and then all of a sudden I came in and started as a rookie. And then my second year, I, I went in and started 16 games. And then I remember in that third year, my coach was like, hey, young guys, come out early. And I was, I was walking out. He's like, what are you doing? I told young guys. I'm like, well, I mean, there were fourth and fifth guys walking out there. He's like, you're not a young guy. I'm like, yeah, but I'm in my third year. He's like, yeah, dude, you just started 16 games and one of the top guys at your job, you're not a young guy. And it was weird. I wasn't a young guy. Uh, like, it, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. Like, it's really kind of an interesting piece. But really, like, that's what's been a lot of fun for me uh, working with these guys. And that's why we do kind of do special cases where, you know, a player like, hey, if this guy's in his contract year and he needs to come in, I got a lot of horsepower for you. And I'm going to teach you all the things you need to say. Like a couple of years ago, I got invited to uh, Dave Spitz, who's one of my great friends. He works with a lot of uh, college kids getting ready for the combine. So he asked me to come in and talk to him. 
And I was like, if you listen, I'll give you the cheat code on how to beat all these meetings. I'll tell you exactly what to say, what to do. And every one of those kids, a few of them didn't get drafted, but every one of them went on a minute starter. Wow. And it's because that, you know, like it helps to have somebody, one who's done it, but also been reflective enough through 750 podcasts to reflect on all this fucking shit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and I've had so many of these conversations. I've written so much, I've read so much that I actually have the ability to articulate it, which is kind of like for you. I mean, to, to write the book and have to do all these things and work with all these different places. I mean, you're working with, uh, you know, private sector and baseball and you're able to kind of cross mingle all these things and realize I'm going to look for the threads that connect. And these are the universal ones that I'm going to teach instead of just making it specific to business. Right. Right? Yeah. I mean, you, you hit on so many great points, man. Just a lot of stuff. But the, the last thing you said there is like the importance of being articulate something, right? It's like, I, I'm learning this right now. I know it already, but it's like real right now, right? And you can't transfer what you can't articulate, plain and simple, yeah. right? And so I say that and that I'm experiencing this right now because my son is 16 and I'm trying to teach him how to drive. I got to learn, right? How to transfer what I know as a driver, just because I drive a car doesn't make me a great teacher of someone else how to drive a car. And I learned real quick. I suck at it. Right. And I'm like, oh, shoot, I got to get locked in and like, hey, these are things to look out for. These are, you know, I got to stay calm. I, you know, all the things that, yeah. you know, for anyone that's taught anybody how to drive, you get this principle. Right. And so does it help that I've driven a car? Absolutely. Right. Because I know some of the things. Right. Um, uh, and, and I don't know uh, how well I would be able to. Um, articulate it in a way like, Hey, here's, here's something that you're probably going to experience. Be ready for this, right? Look out for other people coming this way, whatever it may be. Um, but I know driving the car, having enough experiences myself has really helped me be able to do that better. Right. But does it make me good at it? Cause I sucked at it early on. I think I'm getting better at it. I will say this, just a shout out to myself is that my son prefers to ride with me versus my wife. So I'm just going to throw that out there. But <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So, uh, but it is the importance of like, you've reflected a lot on it. Right. And a lot of times, and that's why, like when I first went into coaching, literally it was, you know, two days had passed and I had, that's why I was depressed. I was terrible. Like I was a terrible coach, you know? And, and I, I know I got better over the years, but it did, it required me to reflect and really put down that old identity and get into like, how can I articulate what I learned along the way? How can I continue to study and learn? How can I connect with this person in a different way? Um, and, and what I've learned along the way, and you mentioned mentoring and how important that is. I mean, behavior change, think about behavior change kind of comes from two places, especially for adults, right? Behavior change comes from two places. You learn enough, you want to, or you hurt enough, you have to. Right. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. And that's why it's so valuable to have a mentor, have those guys in the clubhouse, in the locker room that are those mentors. And then, but it speaks to the humility of the younger players about going, hey, let's learn enough that you want to change versus hurt enough that you have to change. Because in the world of professional sports, if you hurt enough, you have to, you're probably going to be on another team or out of the league. Right. And so it's like, it's those guys that come in, you know, with that, whatever, whatever you want to call it, growth mindset, humility, whatever, but are, are willing to, to take the mentorship from the guys that have been there before. And I think the best organizations do that. They recognize like, Hey, this guy might not have a huge impact first and 10, second and 13, whatever it may be, but like, man, Monday through Saturday, this guy's pouring into people or people are seeking him out because they're relatable. They have a way to articulate something in a way that maybe our coaches can't do, you know? And so just the value of having mentors that have been there before. Right. Uh, and then it's knowing yourself too. I heard that I saw a Michael Jordan interview just about ah, a couple months ago. He's like smoking a cigar with some other old guy smoking a cigar. I'd never seen this interview before. And he, the, the old fella asked him, said, Hey, are you going to, 
uh, or have you ever thought about being a coach? And he said, no. He said, I'd, I'd hate to be a coach because I would hold people to the standard that I held myself. And that mm. ain't fair. He's like, because I knew I was different. I held myself to a standard nobody else was willing to do. And that would make me a bad coach. And so I thought, man, what awareness is that? Because how many yeah. former athletes go right into coaching and they just coach the way they played or they coach the way they coached, you know, and they don't really do the hard work, the reflection of like what works, what doesn't work. How would I explain this? How can I connect with this individual player, whatever it may be? And so anyway, when I saw the interview, I thought, man, that makes so much sense. You like know yourself, right? Know yourself. Dude. Um, so whenever people use the word goat and um, I'm going to say this on the podcast, it'll be funny because people will fucking try to rip on me about it. But every time I, I say, I hear the word goat, I cringe. Like every ounce of me cringes because, uh, you know, uh, LL Cool J invented it, you know, the rapper. I didn't know that. Right. He referred <laughs> to himself. Yeah. Yeah. The greatest all time. He referred to himself as like the goat. Right. Uh, and then there's really only two people in the conversation. Right. There's Jordan, who's probably the greatest of all time. And the only person in that conversation is Tom Brady, in my, in my opinion. I mean, Tom had three Hall of Fame careers in the case of one. Wild. And on top of it is such a nice dude. Um, I like, you know, I, I played at the Patriots for a short time. I knew Tom socially and, you know, I mean, if I saw him today on the street, like John's great, you know, like such a good dude. And so it was funny to see how much people rooted against him and how much people hated him. Not because he was a jerk. I mean, he's married to a supermodel. He's not married now. He probably, you know, who knows? I'll probably get back together, but, um, you know, had three hall of fame careers, good looking dude. I mean, played, you know, this super bowls. I mean, he is like people rooting against him just for the fact that he had so much success. Um, you know, Jordan really, uh, you know, was not only was so good, but was so prickly. And really the only mark on him was the year he had to go play baseball. I mean, you know, who knows? Right. He got suspended probably for gambling and there, go play baseball for a year. And he went and fucking played and crushed it. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, yeah. and then goes back and crushes basketball. So, uh, yeah, like that's my, that's my deal with like the goat and everything. And, uh, I love Jordan's mindset and he's so unapologetic. Right. And, uh, like they asked him the other day and they were like, Hey, you know, if, uh, you know, you, what was it like the uh, 86 bulls had to play against this team? Like, you know, how do you think you guys would do? He's like, you know, we probably win by like maybe two or three points. And they're like, no, oh, you know, really like two, you, two or three points. He's like, yeah, we're all in our fifties and sixties. <laughs> yes. And <laughs> he was fucking dead serious. <laughs> like if he called his boys up, he knew that they could go take these guys. Yeah. And, um, you know, and then you always hear people be like, Oh, do you think he could still, and every one of those dudes is like Jordan would average 50 points you know you, you watch um you know steph curry shoot those shots you don't think jordan the minute he saw steph curry do that would just be like i'm gonna shoot all these shots too he probably hit him with the same deal yeah i mean it's uh like jordan i like what i appreciate and you know tom is um much more diplomatic but he you know he's been interviewed but like unapologetic like i was the best to ever do it and i know it i don't need to rub it in everybody's faces and remind everybody because when you're the best you ain't got to tell anybody but that's very it's true. fucking good. Yeah, I mean, I, I like, like I, I was uh, part of the reason my tenth year I went to the Patriots, ended up getting hurt and not getting to play there like I wanted, and that was the year he tore his ACL too. Uh, mm. I was going there specific because I wanted an opportunity to try to win a Super Bowl and play with Tom Brady, and uh, that was like my entire thing. I was, you know, I got uh, hit up by the Ravens and some of the other teams, and I just was like, no, nah, I'm gonna wait on something that's really good. And if they hadn't have called me or if nothing popped up, I probably would have just retired in, in that at that tenth ninth year. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's fascinating to, to kind of step away. Um, the term fan is interesting for me. Like the fanatic is where it comes from. 
So um, I'm not necessarily a fan of, of teams. I'm like a fan of humanity. Like I'm a fan of sport. I'm a fan of athletic achievement. I want to watch the greatest players stand on the biggest stage and compete at the highest stakes. And I want to see some person hold their hand up as like having done better than anybody else. Like I want to see that. And it doesn't matter what uniform they are. Like if, you know, people are like, oh, are you reading for uh, um, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs? And I was like, yeah, I mean, I played for the Chiefs. I, I like, I want to see, like Mahomes has the ability to rewrite the game. I mean, he is so good. I'm so jealous that I didn't get to play with that guy. Um, you know, Travis Kelsey is, is riding on that, which, you know, is hard because Tony Gonzalez was a much better player, huh. but just didn't have a Mahomes. And if he had had a Mahomes and Super Bowl rings, it wouldn't even be a conversation. So, I mean, like, I understand the intrinsic value of this, and I'm honest because I know. And, um, you know, people are like, oh, do you root for these guys? No, I'm like, no, I just want to see the best game. And the Baltimore Ravens are an unstoppable team. Their defense, uh, everything about them is so good, and I'm so excited. I'm more excited to watch this AFC Championship game than I am to watch the Super Bowl because I think that the game is going to be in the AFC Championship game. It's going to be a heavyweight fight. Mm. And uh, I just want to see, you know, greatness happen. And I want to, you know, it was amazing to be playing on the field with greatness, and I'm sad that I don't get to be on that field to play because I would love to play in that game. Um, But to see it happen, I mean, that's the fun piece. And, uh, you know, but then what's so fascinating to me, and I'm sure you've seen this in baseball where people are such intrinsic fans that they're so wrapped up in this fandom. Whereas as a player and as an athlete, you just want to see people go out and have amazing performances. I don't give a shit what they're wearing. Right. And, uh, you know, that's whenever, you know, and, and I, I think you take that a step further, um, you know, whether it be in business or anything that you do. And I try to remind these guys, like, you might not like somebody or whatever, but at the end of the day, you can never discount their achievement or more importantly, like their ability and desire to win. And if you can even harness that in the face, like, like that's what you should be a fan of. You should want to go against the best in the world. You know, like, um, you know, let's use the jujitsu guys. Hope for the biggest fight. Who's the best guy in the world? Want to go against him. And if you lose, then you know what? Hopefully you got to go train and get back and get another one and another one, another one. It's the guy that retires first or, or gets off the mat or doesn't walk back in that offend, effectively becomes the loser. Yeah. The guy that's able to be consistent over time and Shanji Havero, my coach, competed for over 20 years and they call him the Michael Jordan of Jiu-Jitsu, which is kind of interesting to even have that laid on you. Sure. But that consistency of training and of mindset and wanting to have these great performances in this, like I, I think if players could take that or even if like the general public could kind of look at that and kind of marriage that a little bit more Whereas uh, it's not about fans, it's not about this, it's success, it's about having incredible performances and executing great things, whether or not people see it or not, but then having the pride to do those type of things. Man, that's um, it's really well said, man. It is. I, I want to ask you about, you mentioned this earlier, about a lot of people that train with your program, train with you. You tell people, you got to tell people no sometimes, right? I mean, I'm, you take some on, you said, so that, like, what yeah. I hear is that you got to tell people no. And then the other thing yeah. I wanted to ask you about was like, I mean, you got world champions. You know, talked about Gaddis, you know, say, hey, I wouldn't have been back in the big leagues, wouldn't have won a world championship if I wouldn't have went through your program. So I want to ask two things. One is how do you tell people no, right? And and you obviously have something to point them to, but I'm, because I struggle with that because I want to, so I'm curious how you, you know, someone comes, I want to get better. And then the second piece is <sighs> when you hear that someone, um, hey, had a ton of success because of your program, how does that make you feel, right? It's like, is it as fulfilling to help someone else accomplish their goals and dreams as it was when you accomplished your own? Uh, I have never been as proud in my life 
as I was when, um, so, uh, um, Victor Hugo, the, uh, BJJ guy came to me, his back was pretty, pretty damaged L4, L5. I was having issues. Um, you know, it was one of those things where his coach came to me and, um, said, Hey, uh, and it was wild that like his Sean Hughes, coach, uh, we went out and got a coffee and he posted an Instagram real story and was like, Hey, I'm you know, having a coffee with this ex NFL guy. And I guess one of his buddies hit him up and was like, yeah, that dude played in the NFL, but that's not necessarily what people know him for. Like his company power athlete, like they do badass things with athletes. So he came back to me and he's like, Hey, so-and-so, this guy, he was a you know, good friend of ours. You know, somebody I trust told us. I was like, Oh yeah, that's what we do. And he's like, could you help me? And, uh, that's been like, that's where I fall. Like I have this, like, for those who have the ability to invoke change, there is a responsibility to invoke change. Mm. And so when he said to me, hey, I got this kid. He's got the chance to be the best. He has this injury, and we can't get him on the other side of it. We've taken places in this, and if we can't fix this, like, that's it. I was like, bring him in. Let's see what he got. And he's a and nice kid, good kids. Um, then I call them kids because they're in their 20s. They could be my kids easily. Um, hard work um respectful like all the things that you would want for your you know for people to say about your own children and uh when i saw what he was dealing with and more importantly what he had been able to accomplish in the face of this i was like so he desired he developed an entire style of jujitsu where he didn't have to load his back he could play on the bottom and this and he's a big guy and that's a little guy's game and i was like so this dude developed his unique style of jujitsu because his back was so bad he couldn't stand on his feet and uh, they were like, yeah, I'm like, shit, let me see what he can do and put him into the system. And I was like, you know what? Like, this is something that excites me. Like, let's take a challenge. Like, you know, you're in your contract year. Nobody thinks you can do it. Like, come to me. And uh, those things were important. And so they're kind of case by case. And people hit me up constantly. Um, you know, we write all the, you know, a bunch of training for the guys at development group, you know, for the Naval Special Warfare guys. Um, you know, that's another interesting piece. I love working with Naval Special Warfare and with SEALs. Um, those guys have been great for us. And some of my best friends in the world and just an incredible community because they use the training in a really meaningful way. And it involves the survival, you know, do they get to come home or not? Like, that's where I view the, the deal, you know, Gaddis hitting me up and telling me that. And I'm like, I'm so stoked that you were able to use it and be successful fucking smashing the ball and ripping the cover off of it and just being a thug with the, with the bat. Like, that's all I want to see. I just want to see that people used it, used it in interesting ways and absolutely fucking decimated it. So I worked with Victor and uh, he went down to Brazil and he won um, the Brazilian Nationals, won double gold in the ultra and the heavyweight or in uh, his ultra and the absolute. Came back and then we went out to Long Beach for the Worlds, um, you know, for the IBJJF Worlds. And he goes out there and wins the ultra and the, and, uh, um, the absolute. Like first time in history that somebody had won both the Brazilian Nationals and the Worlds. You know, they're about a month apart and basically made history. And, uh, you know, I've never been as proud as I was watching him go out and compete at that level and not even noticing his back, being able to do things that he wasn't able to. And like seeing that kind of piece, dude, I, uh, it was as close as the satisfaction I got from playing the game, seeing this kid be able to fight in the face of adversity when people are like, oh, you'll never be able to do it, fixing him, which we have the skills to do very easily. And, uh, allowing him to just go out and be a part of like that greatness and just stand there. And like, like, I, I don't even know if anybody ever, took, I think one guy took a picture just cause I'm not like the type of dude to like run over and want to get a million sure. pictures. Like it's his moment. Sure. Like I'm, you know, yeah. I, I just, I don't know. Like everybody ran out for pictures and I was like, dude, like, like the haze in the barn, the work's been done. We know what was done. Like, I don't need a picture to fucking for this moment. Yeah. 
and uh like that type of stuff or you know like the you know and then the 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 older guy i'm working with he's like you know i need to put on 10 pounds of muscle and he hunted me down and i'm happy to work with him just because it's a interesting case and it was a favor to a friend but has become another really interesting people so i think it's kind of case by case and um you know we have a ton of online training programs and we have a lot of resources and if somebody really needs something i have coaches and people like my time is very finite and uh it has to be uh, like it has to be something unique for me where I'm like, you know what, this is something outside of my skill set, or this is something where like, you know what, like I can, like there's other people that can do okay. But at the end of the day, like I know I can do this and you know, and you just have to give your time wisely because it does take away from other things. Like I only, like I was joking my buddy Matt this morning, we trained at six. He's like three thirty hits. And like, I got to pick my daughter up from school. I got my wife picks up my other kids up at school. I got basketball. I got, Jiu-jitsu, I mean, like all of these things that I have to do that, like, I got to get, I got from 5 a.m. to about 3.45, 3.50, and at 4 o'clock, like, I turn into a pumpkin. And yeah. it's like, you know, because, you know, you got kids in this. Yeah. And, um, you know, you have to get a lot done. You have to be willing to, you know, do a lot of stuff. So you have to be very cognizant of your time. And, um, you know, because here's the deal, dude. People waste your time if you give it to them. But I constantly remember people, like, I have, my time is very valuable, very expensive. And, like, the way you repay me is by fucking working hard. And then there's also an interesting thing with entitlement where now if people are paying you, now they're entitled to waste your time. And so for like these guys, I even said to them, I'm like, I don't want any money. I'm going to do this for free, but I'll just tell you what my hourly rate is. And I want you to never devalue this or never do anything. And they were like, we're in. And they show up and down the sword every day. I ask them without never even said, Hey, why are we doing this? And you get athletes like, Oh, I don't know why we're doing this. And yeah. Those kids show up and which wall do you want me to run through? And I was like, I'll take blind loyalty and blind admiration and desire and all those any day over that other stuff. And so that's what, that's what I look for. I look for desire. I look for focus. I look for people that fucking want this and want to be the best version of themselves. And if that's the case, I got you. If there's any deviation, I'm not your guy. And I'll just tell them that head up. I'm like, there's other people out there in the world for you that are probably a better fit. I'm not going to be the guy because I'm not going to, I'm not going to accept anything less than great. Yeah, man, that's, that's good stuff, man. I think the one that hit me was, you know, people will waste your time if you let them, you know? And, and I think that's in coaching in an organization. I think that's the, 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 the struggle. Cause it's like, there are dudes there that are, you know, will run through the wall, will do whatever it takes, you know? And then there's the, the the others, however you want to describe it, you know, and working in mental performance, a lot of times the coaches are like, you get the others, you know? And so, and it's like, <laughs> uh, you know, and, uh, but that's why, you know, I always lean towards like, let's be proactive in this thing. And you just got to fold it within sure. everything we do, you know? But, um, but yeah, that's the thing where it's like, I'm, there's the part of me where it's like, I think we're having this conversation because you, you do want better. That's why we're having the conversation. And I have hope for you, you know, but sometimes my, hope turns into frustration for months on end because I'm like, this person's not willing to do the thing, you know? And it's like, yeah. and at what point, and then I struggle with, right. And this is just the story I tell myself is like, I struggle with the, like, how do I say no? And this person, no, I still care about them. Right. Cause it's like, if I have one quote unquote strategy, it's just like, love the person you're working with. Like, that's the strategy. Like for me, you know, it's like, just, just love them. You know, <laughs> like, I don't, I don't have this business strategy or anything, you know? And so I feel like, you know, and again, this is me talking myself through it where it's like, man, if I cut this I, person off, I feel bad. You know? I'm, I'm going to give you an analogy that um, Please. might make sense and maybe doesn't. Do you remember in Titanic when Rose is on the door? Yeah. 
Yeah. Near far. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, and like there was more than enough room for fucking Leo on that thing. Yeah. I think we all she, can agree. A big door. Yeah. I think we all can Yeah. Agree. We can all agree. <laughs> yeah. And you know, he went to get on, he's this, and she just like let him go. Right. The love of her life went down. So I was like, all right. So the waters are cold. You're on the door. Like not everybody's going to get on the door. You know, you still love the person as they drift to the bottom mm. of the North Sea. It's a good picture. Um, but I, I, you know, I tell people, I'm like, you know, Rose didn't love him any less. She held his flame, you know, kept the diamond, the whole thing at the very end. Like it didn't mean that the, you know, 70 years leading up to that moment was any more rich. You know, she yeah. just had to let him go. Yeah. And I, I, I think for that stuff, um, if you don't, they would have pulled, she would have flipped and she would have died too and wouldn't have lived her life. It, you know, it, you know, at her age, did she make the decision? Hey, should I have died in that moment? Like, what is it is? You know, and the joke is always like, he could have fit on that fucking door. <laughs> right. But when he went up, it kind of this, and he knew if, you know, if he continued to do it, I would have tried to get up on the door yeah. much you know, more agilely. Uh, but sure. it's a pretty interesting piece for what you're telling me. And the minute you said it, I was like, oh man, Rose in the door. And like, you saw him go down. She's like, I love you, Jack. Like, I'm sorry. And then she went on and lived her life. Yeah. Um, but I, I think for a lot of people, you know, they're, uh, you know, and there's a, I'm sure working with people too, like, you know, you invest all this time, they're not producing. And then all of a sudden you feel the frustration. And then all of a sudden they turn it on you that it's your fault that you haven't done. And you're like, at the end of the day, I'm not swinging the bat for you. I'm not, you know, I'm doing this. What I'm trying to do is allow you to be the best version of yourself, you know? And that's like, uh, you know, we're at the house and you're putting on a tux and I'm making sure that your tie is good. And I'm your dad dressing you before you go to the prom and pushing, you know, now you're going to drive your date. Once you get to the prom, it's upon you to dance with your date and to be a good guy. Yeah. I did. I, I made sure your boot near straight and your body, you know, this, I made sure you had the tie and the gas in the car. I gave you everything, but you have to go drive and pick up your date and take her out and have a good time. I can't have a good time for you, Yeah. Uh, but I'll be sitting here waiting for when you come home and you have the most amazing night of your life. And then we get to relive it together. And that's what I'm here for. Like, that's where I always tell these guys, I'm like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll walk you up into the mat. But at the end of the day, I don't get to cross that. Yeah. You go out there and you know that we're all standing there and that your team is there and that we're your fucking boys. And we've been there every moment. But it's upon you to stand up there on that stage and do what you need to do. Now, win, lose, or draw, you're going to come off and we're still going to get the same hug. And we're going to go figure this shit out. Be a lot more fun if they go over and hand you a gold medal and a bunch of flowers. Sure. But it doesn't change how we feel about you. But like, don't be afraid to be great. Don't be afraid to have your best performance. And um, I think all too often, especially in the pro sports, you know, when things aren't going well, people start looking for reasons. Yeah. Well, maybe it's because of this and this. When at the end of the day, nobody gets to do it for you. I have, you have to do it. it. I can give you all the coaching and tips and this and film and everything. But at the end of the day, I got to stand up there, put my hand in the dirt and try to fucking fuck a dude up. Yep. And if I don't have the skills or I haven't done the work or I don't have the desire and the want and the intrinsic, like I can't give you that. And you can be as mad as you want, but I, if I could, I would will it to you, but I can't. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I think for like athletes or people that come in, you know, that's something that has just been very interesting where it's like, uh, you know, uh, for, um, you know, the consulting thing's fairly easy. You know, if a guy's hurt, or, or he, he's kind of like, hey, I, I can't get over this injury or this or this. I have a million different resources. Like, you know, like, hey, see this guy if you can't. Like, I have a good Rolodex to help people. But if it comes into this thing of like, you know, a little bit more deeper, that's when you just have to be really, you know, valuable with your time or find people that are really trusted to be able to take that load. Yeah. Um, you know, because invariably you're going to be the bottleneck, just like I'm the bottleneck. So having people around me, 
that are, you know, able to take this off that I can kind of like oversee a little bit. I think that's where the, the big piece is, you know, and we, we do so much stuff online, discords, this coaches. I mean, we try to really manage the experience, but at the end of the day, um, you know, like, uh, I'm like Rose on the door. I can't get everybody on my door. So if you can't swim, now here's another thing. Jack just fucking went down. I wouldn't have done that. I would have found another door. I would have kept swimming and be like, if this girl's not letting me on the door, I'm going to find another one. I'm just not going to freeze in this water holding your hand. Sure. So, you know, that's, uh, you know, so just funny and Titanic analogies, which are always funny to whip out on people. They're like, Titanic, really? You're going to make those? I love it. No, I I love it. You know, and I I appreciate you sharing that. I really do. Because that is one thing I'm trying to get better at is build my network. So I do, I can find people to say, hey, hey, I trust this person. This is going to be a great person for you. You know, I don't have the time. Uh, but I always operate from the place for mental performance. At least I'm trying to work myself out of a job, right? I'm trying to yeah. teach skills enough that it's like, because when you're in the arena, you're in the batter's box, you got your hand in the dirt, whatever it is, it is between you and you. And if I do my job well enough, my hope is like, hey man, I got this. I appreciate you getting me to this level. I'm going to go get to the next level with somebody else or whatever. Like I'm okay with that. And to kind of bring it full circle, like as I was thinking about this, when you're sharing the example, uh, you know, with Rose and Jack and the Titanic, but <laughs> just thinking about in mental performance, I'm always trying to work myself out of a job. And I think good fathers do the same thing. Right. And I think you just mentioned, you know, earlier when you talked about the two most formidable times in, in someone's life is when, um, or for a man's life is when they father children and when their father passes away. Right. And so when yeah. I think of myself as a parent, as a dad, man, my job is to launch. My job is to launch my two kids to be you know, purposeful, impactful, positive, you know, um, people within their community, wherever they choose to go, ultimately where I'm not needed anymore, where, you know, where, where they can go, Hey, you know, I remember dad telling me this. I remember dad, this is the thing he was talking about that I rolled my eyes at. It's actually making sense now here, you know? And so, yeah. So whether, you know, working in mental performance or I think any coaching role, really mentor role, it's like, man, can I get you to a place where I'm not needed and you get to launch yourself? Cause at the end of the day, it is just you and you, in the arena. And so you can fully trust yourself in that moment. And I think great dads do the same thing, right? It's like they, they launch their kids into the world where they's like, man, I love having my, my, my dad's still alive to this day. I love having my dad there, but I also know I've been in some crazy situations that I've been able to get through them successfully, not always. Right. But most of the time successfully because of the lessons that my dad had given me growing up. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, uh, I am (laughs) forever humbled um, having kids, I, I got twin daughters who are 12 and then I got a little boy who's seven. Um, the, uh, the challenges and the trials and tribulations of raising daughters is very different than raising boys. Uh, I, I joke that raising boys is a lot like raising stray dogs. Just make sure there's enough food out and, uh, everybody's got some activity. Whereas like, you know, I, I was on, like I said, I was on that call and one of the guys asked me, you know, how do you balance male and female energy with raising girls? And I was like, uh, if you figure it out, call me yeah. because I, I like, I, they'll tell me like, uh, I'll hear like, Oh, and I'll be like, oh, you know, like, um, you know, there's a lot of dumb me with, there's a lot of pictures on the internet, maybe me making dumb faces. You want me to show them all? Like, I, I just like, uh, that's part of the internet. Yeah. Right. Like, and like, Oh my God, so-and-so you know, posted this. And, and I'm like, I'm not the dude to come over and console you in that moment. I'm more like your pony's going to be cold. Let me go to home Depot and build you something. Sure. So I'm more like, Hey, like, the, you know, the house is on fire. Let's put it out. Like, you know, the, the sink is leaking, you know, sitting down and trying to talk about, you know, mental resilience as, as it relates within social media and this and growing up as a, like, 
uh, my wife, who's an amazing person, got me a bunch of books this Christmas, and I've been reading. I just started getting into them about raising teenage daughters, and uh, I, I'm like reading this stuff, and I'm like, this is exactly how opposite of how I was raised. Mm. But I was also a boy raised with two older brothers and a dad, and my mom just was like, I don't know, I just drove you to sports, made sure there was a lot of food, and you know, if there was a fight, I broke it up. Like other than that, like, and then made sure you guys had shoes. Like that was the extent of my mom's kind of, like it. impact. And I'm and as I'm reading this book, I'm like, you know, and I just go back at my daughter being like, all you do is you're grumpy and you try to teach us things. And I was like, kind of like, um, uh, what was it in Lord or uh, uh, Game of Thrones? The guy who was the you know the the hand of the king. He's like, I drink and I know things. Like that's what my job is. So like that's become kind of a joke for them. And I'm like, well, like. It, if you don't want to be grumpy, tell me more funny stories and positive things. But everything I hear from you guys is like constantly always as negatives. Like talk to me about the wins. Like what, what good happened today? Don't tell like, yeah. you know, like it's just, it's so different. Um, you know, and uh, my wife tells me some, like I'm, I'm not a, a religious person by any means, but I'm, you know, I spiritual and realize that there's something bigger than us. And she made a joke that like the universe gave you twin daughters to teach you a lesson. And I was like, yeah, but if I had 10 boys, we could at least have a badass football team. It'd be five on five. Because my, my joke is one girl is equal to about five boys. So I was like, I'll just take 10 boys, 11, you know, one will have one off the bench. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's easy. Like, um, and what's also pretty fascinating is when you talk to guys who are successful, and especially when you, if you talk to their fathers, and I've, I've had the opportunity to talk to a lot of guys who are successful as parents. Um, one of the regrets that most of the parents' dads say is like, I was too hard on my kids growing up, mm. right? The dads I spoke to whose kids were not successful said the opposite. I should have been harder on my kids. I shouldn't have let them slide. I should have hold the standard. When I talked to parents where their daughters were very successful, the one thing that the dad said was, um, you know, there was never a moment my daughter didn't know I, uh, that I loved her and I wasn't supporting her. And I was like, wow, okay. So with your sons, be hard on them. With your daughters, make sure they love you. And I'm like, every day you got a car, you know dad loves you. I love like, that. let me, you know, and I, I, I tell my daughters all the time, like, you can lie to the priest, you can lie to everybody, like, don't lie to me. Because if you lie to me, we can't solve the problems. And more importantly, there might be a moment where you make that 911 call and I will come like a fucking fire truck on, on fire to come kick in doors for you. Yeah. And like, that's where they know, like, hey, it's getting cold upon him. Like, fucking, you want me to, I'll build something that should take six hours and 30 minutes. Like, just let me do it. So, um, yeah. And, and then when the guy asked me, he's like, oh, he's, I'm like, Dude, I don't have anything figured out when it comes to parenting. Uh, and I, and anybody that tells you that they do is full of shit Yeah. now, uh, you know, because you're trying to talk and you're trying to deal with, you know, maturing young people. And like, you, you made a great point talking about coaches, uh, especially for younger athletes. And I was just recounting all the shitty coaches I had that I look at now and be like, those dudes were either going through some shit or felt bad about themselves for the way they treated us. You know, I, I had a coach one time who I'm pretty sure was drunk showed up. He's a basketball coach. We were like maybe junior high, like kicked the ball at us and told us we were the worst players he'd ever fucking seen. And was like, I mean like the worst shit. And I'm like, dude, I was like, I think back in the eighties, they should have been breathalyzing people before they came out and coach kids. Cause I think these parents were like drinking. I mean, I, like just to be, or, or they were just assholes. Yeah. Like I like saying shit to kids that I would never fucking say that somebody would snap with a phone now record and go on the internet. And they'd be like, you're getting jail time or you're leaving this town. Right. Like that was how they, I mean, that was just kind of, you know, like little league baseball parents fighting. You know, I, I like, I was telling my kids when, uh, 
when I was in high school, we used to get paid 20 bucks to ump uh, softball and Little League games. So like uh, it was pretty close to our house. It hit us up 20 bucks, go over there for a few hours and ump softball and baseball games. Uh, there were numerous times where I literally grabbed my money and fucking hightailed it out of there. Cause I'm pretty sure one of those coaches was going to kick my ass and I'm like 14 <laughs> years old. And I'm like, that's crazy. But yeah. I mean, it was a different time, but, uh, you know, that piece of, you know, like you have to be able to provide enough information and enough direction that your kids leave and go off and be successful. Uh, but not so, and my mom tells me this, not so much kindness that they don't want to leave. Like, uh, uh, you know, I mean, mother birds push birds out of the nest when they won't leave and they push them and either they fly or they fall and die. And she's like, that's a pretty good analogy for all this stuff. I'm like, so were you driving us out? She's like, well, you guys never came back and you're all successful. And I'm like, oh, fair enough. Yeah. But like, that's, um, yeah, I mean, I, uh, the parenting thing is, um, uh, mentoring young athletes to go out and be great feels very, um, <laughs> doable. Parenting is much more malleable and more like by the minute, especially with daughters. So I'm, I'm reading books and trying to improve upon that one. But I, I can't imagine in terms of like going into, I mean, athletes are like, it's, it, it's easy to sell performance to athletes, right? Like you don't have to go and talk to a professional baseball player about performance. Like, right. are you saying if I do this, I get better? It's an easy sell. Right. But you work in the private sector. And that's the part I found most interesting. How do you sell performance to people that work a nine to five job that necessarily can't micro see like, Hey, I got a hit today and I didn't like they, like how do they gauge performance? And more importantly, how do you sell performance in that way? That's what I find crazy. Yeah. I, I can tell you, um, still learning that, right. To be honest with you, that, and that's probably like the thing I didn't quite expect because in working with a founder and CEO, an entrepreneur that bootstrapped a business for, uh, you know, roughly seven years to get it to a multi-billion dollar valuation. Like he's driven at a level that professional athletes are driven at. Right. And the great ones, sure. not just the professional, but the great ones. Right. And so you go, Oh, and yeah. so my, you know, limited view of corporate is like, Oh, they're all going to be like this guy, you know? And then I met the COO and he, he was a, a lot like this guy. And so the first two people I meet are like, they're after it. So I'm like, this is what it's going to be like. I jump in. I couldn't have been more wrong. Right. It's like people are leaving company. Like, I'm like, wait, what do you mean? they, what do you mean they left to another j job? Like you can just do that. Like whenever you want. Cause you know, in sports, like if I'm not playing, doesn't matter. They're gonna have to trade you or release you. <laughs> you know, I can't just be yeah, like, yeah. Hey, I'm going to go work over here. I'm going to go work for the Titans right now. You know, like it doesn't work that yeah, way, yeah. you know? And nope. so, um, again, failure on my part to not realize like just how, um, how transient it can be. Right. And it's like, so I'm like, Oh shoot. Okay. Not everyone's driven at the level of this, this person that's, that's unusual. Uh, Okay, but not all these people are just out here looking for the easiest job. You know, it's like, hey, where can I do the least amount of work? And I jumped in right after COVID 2021, where it's like everyone wants to work from home, right? And it's like, wait, mm -hmm. what do you mean I have to go around be around people? I will never be around people again. You know, so there's a lot of optionality out there where you could work, right? So it's like, do I have to come to the office? Well, if you're gonna make me come, I'm not going. So I'm gonna go work over here. And so it was just a really unique time for me to really challenge what it meant to talk about performance and and I'm still trying to crack that, to be honest with you. You know, I think one of the things that I spend a lot of time on is really helping people clarify the purpose. Cause I don't think they, I just think people leave college and they go get the job, you know, it's like, why? Cause that's what you do. Like mom pushed me out of the nest or whatever. Like I got to go pay rent, you know? So I just go get the job versus 
why are you doing this? What do you really want out of it? Like what parts of your day mean the most to you? And, you know, we've even gotten to places where it's like some people it's like, Hey, let's, let's color code your schedule. What are the green, yellow, and red things? You know, like those types of things where it's like, you know, yellow being neutral, red being like, these things suck, you know, and green being like, this fires me up. And then we get to those things where we're looking at it. And it's like, if all you have is red all the time, I don't know if this place is for you, you know, and that's okay. It doesn't make you a bad person. It just makes you not uh, probably this industry or this place is not best for you. But what a lot of people start to realize is they go, oh, wow, like there's actually a lot in my job that I like. I think what I like is the interaction. It's funny, early on, the uh, people wanted to work from home and the thing they missed most was being with people. And I was like, do you not see the connection here? Like, <laughs> you know, you, you want the autonomy to not get in your car, but your biggest frustration is you don't feel connected. Like something's got to give, right? And so, um, you know, and, and the giving is not, more virtual happy hours. Right. I don't know if there's anything worse than that. And so, um, uh, dude, during, during COVID people were like, yeah, we should get on a zoom and have a drink. And my wife, uh, was like doing it with her friends. Um, like all of her, uh, like, you know, girls, she went to like elementary school. They were like going to have this like wine in or something. And they're like sitting around zoom. And I'm like, fuck, if this is our future, we should just fucking end it <laughs> yeah. now. Like I'm sitting here having a glass of wine with somebody on zoom yeah. and I'm just like, oh my God, this is so bad. I mean, it's like this conversation, um, as good as it's been, I mean, it's fucking awesome, uh, would be a thousand times more rich in person. 100%. Yeah. If like you were sitting here, like this thing would be, you know, and, but what's amazing is we've somehow harnessed the ability to have impactful conversations by sharing on Zoom because we've probably done enough Zooms to realize that like, I mean, when we first started kind of doing, uh, uh, you know, stuff on Zoom and it wasn't, we were doing the video stuff. Before we got on calls, it was all right. But then like, for the most part, people were just like sitting there and we were like pulling, trying to fight our way out. And I had, I had a few other guys on the podcast with me. We just ended up having banter ourselves, hoping they would jump in Yeah, because people just weren't as skilled. Now here we are in 2024 and it's become a thing where you have to be somewhat animated and giving and like kind of get in this whole thing so that you're just not sitting here behind this two dimensional environment, hoping, you know, glean things out. But, um, shit, dude, that's almost two hours. That's where we're at. Yeah. Dang, man. Uh, <laughs> I just glanced at the clock and I was like, it's almost noon. Dang, man. We're rolling. Shit. Uh, and on top of it, we didn't even do an intro, <laughs> oh. <laughs> which is, which is even more hilarious. Uh, I, we just started talking, but, um, dude, uh, if people want to know more, I mean, at least like, let, like, you know, we just dropped them in like on a 10,000 foot drop off. Like, but, uh, like if people want to like click on your social, the book or like any of the other stuff, how do they, how do they find more on this? Yeah. I mean, the, the book I still got in my head, right? That's the thing. Um, I haven't settled on a title. So that, that's the thing. I'm, I'm oh. still working through it. Still working through Dude, it. Dude, are you? Oh, yeah, shit. So. I, I, I was hoping that like I, I dropped it. I was like, man, I really hope there's yeah. a book or a manual no, or something it's, on this because I it's mean, coming. it's it's fascinating. I mean, dude, you like just like I like I have a, a, a book outlined and pieces in this and I need like time to sit down and bring somebody in. And people ask me all the time and you're like, dude, like at some point you need to, cause I have to throw that stake in the ground, but yeah. I hope you do. Yeah, thanks, and I'll brother. be one of the, I, I yeah. appreciate that. I really do. But yeah, I mean, right now, like uh best place to find me is probably on, you know, Instagram, which would be DMAC underscore mindset. Um, you know, but I'm not even that reliable to be honest with you there. You know, it's like, feels <laughs> weird to me to be like 
putting myself out there, which I think, again, these are my own things I got to deal with, you know, um, but uh, trying to get better at that, doing that kind of stuff. And then uh, myself and another mental performance coach, uh, her name's Dr. Nicole Detling. We host a, a podcast called No Show Dogs and where we interview people from sports, right, that have had experience, whether in the front office or as athletes and talk to them about their, you know, their, their mental performance uh, frameworks and how they operate and then how that works in business. So, you know, you check out the No Show Dogs podcast, but those are the two places probably to, uh, to find me. And I just got to get better at, to be honest with you, man. But, uh, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, no, it was amazing. I, um, yeah, dude, I mean, thanks for taking the time and allowing me to waste two hours of your time regaling you with, you know, hopefully stories and, you know, Titanic references, but, uh, thanks for tuning in another episode of Power Athlete Radio. Hey there, Power Athlete Nation. Big shout out to all the heavy hitters who stuck around till the final whistle. If you've been soaking in the knowledge bombs and epic tales you've been dropping for free, here's your chance to be a game changer. Swing by klfi.com slash power athlete and toss a few bucks our way to keep the podcast fueled and firing on all cylinders. That's ko-fi.com forward slash power athlete. Your support makes a difference. See ya.